This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Remember last year, I think it was last year, if not, it was the year before that, it was very recently, when that lunatic showed up at uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's house with the intention of doing him harm. Now, it's not inconceivable that that person might have killed Justice Kavanaugh, and no justice should ever have to deal with a threat to his life or her life. And that lunatic had a very specific goal, and the would-be assassin thankfully was arrested and didn't come to uh, any... He wasn't in a position to actually do the harm to Kavanaugh that he would have, but he had a very specific goal. If Kavanaugh died, President Biden would choose his replacement. That would likely change the political orientation of the court. He also planned, this fellow that was going to kill Kavanaugh, he also planned to kill two more justices. Now, if that would have happened, that would have changed the whole political orientation of the court. The assassin, crazy, crazy as he is, would-be assassin, the would-be assassin, crazy as he is, understood two things. One, it doesn't matter how these justices die. It doesn't matter how they die, they still get replaced the same way, which is they're nominated by whomever happens to be president at that time. In this case, President Biden, who has a very different political orientation than the justices that were being targeted. Now, we've seen this before. We've seen people be assassinated for political reasons before. But in the United States... Usually, usually, not always, usually you don't see people seeking to assassinate a president because uh, with this same goal to change the ideological policies of the country. I know the JFK example. I understand the uh, the Lincoln example. And I understand the James Garfield example. The McKinley example, I don't think holds water, but you don't really see it. Why? Because let's say you were a rabid conservative Republican. If you were to go and assassinate President Biden, God forbid, then the person that would take over for him is Kamala Harris. 
and her ideological persuasion is pretty much where Biden is, right? If you were a rabidly ultra-left-wing Democrat and you were to assassinate Donald Trump, the person that would take over is Mike Pence. So it wouldn't really change the political direction of the country. So with that in mind, there's an author by the name of Maxim Lott who proposed a very interesting idea. And it's one that I hadn't heard before, but uh, I'm going to bring it to your attention. Maxim Lott, uh, and I'm going to link to this article on my Facebook page right now, uh, facebook.com slash Fan. if you want to read it. It's facebook.com slash fan. He proposes that there be sort of, uh, he proposes, he argues that the way Supreme Court justices are chosen incentivizes these attempted judicial murders. Right now, and this is a quote from the piece, right now it's just how the system works, that a murdered judge would get replaced by one with quite a different constitutional philosophy. That's what he writes. If a president is assassinated, he or she is replaced by the vice president, reducing the incentive for partisan murder. Lott argues that a similar system for judges allowing judges to nominate a vice justice to take their place in the event of their death would do likewise. I thought that was very interesting. It was an interesting idea and one that I hadn't heard before, and I'm curious what you think about it. 800-848-9222. For instance, there are a lot of people who've said to me over the years, including a lot of very influential, very intelligent people, There are a lot of people over the years that believe there was something fishy with uh, Justice Scalia's death. I don't believe that, but a lot of people do, including a lot of people that I respect. And if you think about it, let's pretend they're right. I don't think they are, but let's pretend they're right. Let's pretend that uh, the most influential conservative justice in the last 50 years was killed, right? Let's Let's pretend his death was a result of foul play. He, his replacement would have been named, and if the Senate had given Barack Obama a vote, his replacement would have been named by Merrick Garland. Now, it turned out not to work out that way because Mitch McConnell would not allow a vote on Merrick Garland. So Obama got to name, at least initially, Scalia's would-be replacement. What if, what if Scalia got to pick one of his court clerks or a judge from the Court of Appeals, as his sort of vice justice, his successor in waiting to take over and fill his term for at least a period of time so that that wouldn't have any need to kill him if you were interested in changing the uh, ideological direction, direction of the court. An assassination now would absolutely change the balance of the court for decades. So in the case of Kavanaugh, had the assassin killed his target, he would have gotten his wish. But in the case of Biden or any president, it doesn't work out that way. Curious what you think about this idea. I thought it was really interesting. 800-848-9222. I'm not really ready to fully endorse this yet, but I have to tell you, this is an idea that has kept me thinking all morning. So um, I'm curious what what folks think about it. And um, if you look at what people 
were saying at the time that uh, Kavanaugh and the other justices were coming out with that uh, Roe versus Wade decision or the, or the the Dobbs decision got leaked and it was clear that they were going to overturn Roe versus Wade. You know, they were being harassed at dinner and you had people like the White House press secretary saying this is what democracy looks like. And that attitude was matched with a very similar tone in a lot of major media outlets. The New York Times kept the assassin story off their front page. Even Bill Maher noted that if this had been a liberal Supreme Court justice that someone came to kill, it would have been on the front page. And, you know, that's Bill Maher, not exactly a right-wing ideologue. So I think this solution of vice justices is an interesting one. So just like with the president, every justice would select his or her own vice justice, who just like vice presidents would do absolutely nothing unless a justice is murdered, in which case the vice justice would immediately take the bench and appoint his or her own justice. You know, one of the things we've talked about before is the uh, the possibility that Pope John Paul I might have been murdered. Now, I've played you the audio from Anthony Ramundi, a, a former gangster who, pretend, who, uh, who uh, claims, he proclaims that he was involved in that uh, murder, uh, who knows if that's true? But uh, there's some people that believe the Pope was murdered, uh, John Paul I. And there, there are, there's circumstantial evidence to say that it was a result of this Vatican banking scandal. Pope Benedict XVI, when he was, when he resigned or was pushed out, whatever the case may be, he was succeeded by a Pope that had a radically different philosophy. Well, if Pope Benedict XVI, if Pope John Paul I had sort of a a vice pope that they picked, you wonder if those things would have occurred. So as this author writes, Mr. Lott, uh, a side note of that is, if a justice resigns or dies of natural causes, the vice justice would not be called up. Otherwise, that would create essentially a permanent hereditary seat. So that's not what he's proposing. This is in the case of a murder only. The the goal being simply to prevent zealots from having an incentive to assassinate justices. And the more I think about it, the more the idea does have some uh, appeal to me. Now, he claims that a constitutional amendment would not be needed. I'm sure other constitutional scholars would disagree, but, you know, he makes a pretty convincing case that this could be done just through legislation. We'll see. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, that's 1-800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. There's a whole bunch going on in the world of pro wrestling and where the pro wrestling world meets the business world meets the cultural world. So we're going to talk with John Arezzi coming up in uh, just a few minutes. He was great last time he was on the program. And in fact, uh, people keep calling. People keep writing to me saying that um, they discovered our show because of John Arezzi. So I'm looking forward to having him back and hopefully gaining some new listeners. And a corollary to the subject that we did yesterday on smartphones and social media and their impact on young people, a very interesting book out called Smartphones Don't Give Hugs, 
A Guide Out of Loneliness. And a Canadian author by the name of David Burstein, he's got this book out, and he's of the contention that even though smartphones can help us be better connected to the rest of the world and our fellow man, that it's doing the opposite, that it's leading to um, an insular nation, an insular world, and an epidemic of loneliness. So I'm looking forward to talking with him in the next hour. And then in our third hour, it is Valentine's Day, uh, so how could we not have a matchmaker on to talk about how singles can find love this Valentine's Day? We'll get into that in our third hour. And obviously we'll have an update on all of the UFOs that uh, our government continues to shoot down, and uh, they're not sure what they are, but they're sure it's not aliens, please. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on this proposal, uh, and you can read the whole article if you want, at facebook.com slash moranofan. Comment on this proposal for vice justices in the event of a Supreme Court justice being assassinated. I think it's interesting. 1-800-848-9222. David is in the Bronx. Hello there, David. Uh, good morning, Frank. Uh, I've got a question about this because it does make me think. Um, the um, justice, the I guess associate, not associate, the vice justice that we're talking about, would this person, shouldn't they be approved by the Senate along with the justice in question? Because vice presidents go through the election process with the president, right. as do lieutenant governors. So why should some Supreme Court uh, Supreme Court justice have the ability to willy nilly pick some random person to be their replacement? Well, I mean, I, Clarence Thomas could pick Laura Ingram because she worked for him <laughs> as an intern. Well, I, I actually I thought the same thing. Actually, maybe they could kind of get approved as sort of a sort of a ticket, just the way the president and vice president are. It, the the author, uh, Mr. Lott, that wrote this. He doesn't mention that, but I actually had the same idea. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. Uh, so if we're going to do this, it would seem to me they should have to go through the same sort of vetting that uh, that that a Supreme Court justice would go through, or at least maybe not the same sort, but almost the same sort of vetting to make sure that uh, you know uh, that a, a justice is not uh, appointing his uh, dog groomer or something. I, I agree with that. I, I think that's a great idea. Um, Frank, one quick question. Sure. Because um, you have a wrestling person coming up. Have you ever had on Vince Russo or tried to get him? Yeah, I, you know, I've never had him on. And uh, I, I did reach out to him one time and he was unavailable. But uh, that's actually a very good idea. I haven't tried in a while. I'll reach out to him again. All right. Thanks, Frank. Good night. Thank you, David. 800. And by the way, people could check out uh, David's uh, GoFundMe. He's having some uh, some issues. And uh, one another one of uh, Dominic's listeners set up a GoFundMe to help him pay for some medical bills. So you can uh, check that out. That's on my Facebook page as well. Facebook.com slash Morano fan. So um, one quick correction. Because I, a bunch of you wrote to me after the show. Actually, some of you did during the show, but I'm so far behind in my email that I don't get to see these emails until after the show. I spend most of the day going through my email, and I'm still not caught up. But anyway, um, some folks, uh, I said yesterday that I thought that that New York Mets commercial that aired during the Super Bowl was a national ad and that aired on uh, the entire Fox network for everybody that was seeing the Super Bowl. 
And it was a very clever commercial. You had Brandon Nimmo in there, uh, Francisco Lindor, uh, uh, the new Japanese player, Tomas Nito, uh, Brandon Nimmo. It was really, it was an interesting commercial. It was fun. It was fun. So anyway, uh, uh, Kodai Senga is the Japanese player. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to uh, marginalize him just by referring to his ethnicity. So the, I was incorrect. That ad is just airing in the New York region. And so I'm sure it did not cost $5 million. I'm sure it cost a pretty penny, but uh, it did not cost 5 to $7 million. So thank you to John Scandalios and to all the other folks that wrote to me uh, saying that, uh, that that was that. Because a funny thing happened. A lot of the other shows, particularly in the New York area, but I'm sure this is true in all of our markets, a lot of the other talk shows, they listen to what I'm doing in terms of topic selection, in terms of uh, the way we choose to address a subject and my analysis of a certain thing. And they make the foolish assumption that if I put a fact out on the radio that I actually know what I'm talking about when, at least in this particular case, that's not the case. So I was listening to another show on another station yesterday and they repeated the same thing even after I learned that it wasn't the case. And sure enough, I confronted the host of this program and he said, oh, well, I was listening to you. That's where I got it from. So that's the uh, that's the deal there. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Uh, we're on Twitter as well, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. We are going to go through your email and your snail mail and your tweets a little bit later. So if you want to get be heard and have your comment read on the air, you can do so by emailing me at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. It's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Joe is in Tom's River. Hello, Joe. Joe? Joe? Um, yeah. Go ahead. Be heard, Joe. Well, uh, Frank, uh, I love this idea. I don't know how it wasn't thought of years ago. Well, I think it's the sign of the times that is creating ideas like this. But you want to know something? We got to go with the sign of the times because um, God forbid if one of these Supreme Court justices were assassinated, we'd be in a pickle. We'd really be in a pickle for the next, as you said, decades. Right, right. And, so, yeah. No, I, I mean, uh, it's and, – and thank you, Joe. Right. I mean, it's, it's to your point, it is a sign of the times, right, where you have to worry about zealots killing judges. Well, injustices, right, as we know from uh, the uh, terrific book by Eric Siegel, these justices really aren't judges. But um, that's a, a separate discussion. The point is, why should the assassin – would-be assassin, potential assassin, be rewarded with killing a justice and having his I or her ideological means met. They shouldn't. And uh, I think Joe's right. Unfortunately, this is a sign of the times. I, I, I'll be honest, the more I think about this idea, the more that we hash it out, uh, along with that David provision, that the vice justice should also have to go through some sort of a confirmation process as well, the more I like it. I really do. if you want to comment, that's 800-848-9222. You know, speaking of the New York Metropolitans, John Arezzi uh, worked for the Mets organization for a time as well. And uh, I'm eager to hear his take on what uh, what this says about the kind of the Steve Cohen regime 
of the New York Mets ownership that they're running Super Bowl ads, even if there are, even if they are just uh, heard locally. So we'll get into that as well. All right. uh, We'll talk with John Arezzi in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. This is, of course, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, a great song. And this was actually a birthday bumper music selection from now former commissioner of buildings in New York City, Eric Ulrich. He, um, you know, I don't want to get into how he ended up being former, but it's well documented. And so I asked him, it was his birthday yesterday, and I asked him how he, uh, I asked him to make some bumper music selections. And he said, given the unexpected circumstances of my departure, I've come up with a few witty ideas. And this was one, Eye of the Tiger. So I think it takes a whole new resonance on when you uh, when you know that it's from Eric Ulrich and you know what happened. Now, uh, this, of course, was made famous by one of the Rocky sequels, Rocky Three, And in Rocky Three. You see an incredible physical specimen by the name of Thunderlips, played brilliantly, I might add, by Hulk Hogan. And uh, they're in this exhibition match, Thunderlips, portrayed by Hulk Hogan, and Rocky, played by uh, Sylvester Stallone. And it, was, it actually had some basis in a real-life incident, a, a wrestler versus boxer real-life incident, and um, it struck me as as good a time as any to revisit uh, a conversation with John Arezzi. He is a a brilliant man and the co-author of the book, Matt Memories, and he's also the co-host of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight and Matt Memories from uh, Madison Square Garden podcast. John, it's great to talk with you again. How are you? Hey, Frank. Great to be with you again. It's been a while. It certainly has. We have to make this a more regular occurrence. Hey, John, uh, just before we spoke a little bit about um, the New York Mets Super Bowl ad, which I thought was very clever, and uh, I I think it certainly marks a new change in marketing strategy and the level of investment from the current Met ownership – in your book, Matt Memories, you do spend some time uh, talking about your time working in baseball and for the Mets organization. If you're a Met fan or just a baseball analyst in general, what do you think you can read from the fact that Steve Cohen chose to run this Super Bowl ad? Is this a this seems to be very much a new era for the Mets, doesn't it? 
it's a brand new era, and it's a welcomed era by anybody who's been um, with broken hearts from the Mets over many, many years, like myself. Uh, Cohen is going to do everything it takes, and he's already proven it to make the Mets a, a perennial winner, be respected, uh, to build an organization that's going to be uh, very competitive for years to come. You had predicted that uh, they would make the playoffs uh, last year. You were right about that. Unfortunately, they uh, they fell short. What do you think of the offseason moves that they made this year? I'm really happy that they brought back Brandon Nimmo. I thought it was a spark plug at the top of the lineup. The defense and center field improved dramatically last year. Uh, the free agent signings, once uh, DeGrom uh, decided that he didn't want to be in New York anymore and went to Texas, Cohen immediately answers by bringing in Justin Verlander. Uh, he signs uh, uh, other free agents. Um, it was a great offseason for the Mets. And even the Korea situation where um, they pulled the trigger and then because of the physical and the ankle problems, uh, that deal didn't go through. It wasn't a big letdown for Mets fans. We're like, okay, he gave it a shot. It didn't work out. We're still going to be great this mm. year. So yeah. very excited for the upcoming season. Yeah, no, well well said. Hey, I, I alluded to uh, that uh, scene in Rocky Three of Thunderlips versus Rocky. Some people say that that uh, had its basis in the real-life boxer versus wrestler a bout of Muhammad Ali versus Antonio Inoki. Last year, uh, we lost Antonio Inoki, a really a legendary pro wrestler, martial artist, politician, and really kind of an ambassador of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts to the rest of the of the world. I'm curious, in all your time involved in uh, pro wrestling, did you ever have occasion to interact with Antonio Inoki? Yes, I did. He made an appearance at Madison Square Garden to promote the uh, boxer versus wrestler match in 1976. I was fortunate enough to be at Madison Square Garden as a ringside photographer. I was backstage and uh, took some pictures, uh, interacted, said hello. But certainly uh, his presence and, and the hype and publicity that brought to pro wrestling back then in 1976 was uh, pretty amazing for a sport that didn't get a lot of national media coverage at the time. The That era, the 1970s, there were a lot of people that watched pro wrestling and still kind of believed that it was on the level, that maybe the outcomes of the matches were not predetermined. Then uh, in the uh, 80s and certainly in the 90s, Gradually, it got to the point where the fans all sort of knew that the outcomes were predetermined, but the people putting on the product still kind of acted as if uh, the, that was it was a legitimate sport. Even with all the, uh, the the revelry and all the showmanship, they still kind of acted like it was a legitimate situation. These days, you don't really see any pretense uh, that it that that there's a non predetermined aspect to pro wrestling. How does pro wrestling survive these days in an era where every 11-year-old who knows how to work Google can find out in eight seconds that uh, pro wrestling is not legitimate in the way that uh, that boxing is? Has that hurt pro wrestling fandom at all? 
I think it hurt when it was first um, when Vince McMahon first went to the public and said this is all sports entertainment and not really legitimate competition. Uh, I think today, I mean, with the generations that have uh, evolved and now follow pro wrestling, I think they look at it kind of as quasi-sport, quasi-art form um, with athletics and and just kind of suspension of disbelief. You know, you know it's not legit in regard to winners and losers. There's still fans that enjoy this every single week, whether it's WWE, AEW, or the independents. It's a different era. I've been following it and covering it for 50 years now, really. And uh, I'm amazed sometimes that uh, it brings in what it does uh, dollar-wise. And the business is so robust today. I mean, I had Eric Bischoff on my podcast uh, about a week ago when we were covering my radio show from 30 years ago. And that's when he made his first appearance and was appointed executive producer of uh, WCW at the time. And we were talking about Monday Night Raw, how it was a niche program, and it just said debuted. And then we come back uh, after listening to the clip, uh, the highlight that I played, and Eric is like, boy, that was uh, interesting, calling it a niche. It was a really big niche. It's <laughs> a multi-billion dollar business now. You know, that, that, is, uh, that is for sure. Last week, uh, we talked on this program about uh, the passing of Lanny Poffo, who was very well known as a wrestler and a manager as the genius. Very witty guy. Pay attention to me. I'm the genius. Jim Neidhart does not have a chance. He's ugly, repulsive, and somewhat obese. There isn't much room for romance. The genius, however, is handsome and tall. My body is so statuesque. The genius has read every one of these books. I invite you to sit at my desk, perusing the poems of Emily D., T.S. Eliot, and all the rest. I shall make the anvil write 100 times. The genius is truly the best. The genius is truly the best. His brother was, of course, the macho man Randy Savage, one of the best known and uh, most popular pro wrestlers of all time. He passed away at the age of 58. You have Lanny Poffo uh, passing away in his 60s, but uh, still far too young, even though he seemed like he was in great shape. Uh, we could go through the list of pro wrestlers every single year and former pro wrestlers every single year that have passed away at an incredibly young age. In your view, and having known a lot of these guys, why do so many pro wrestlers seem to pass away so young? Yeah, it's very sad that, you know, today, like when when we learned about the loss of Lanny, that was a big shock because he was not really a steroid guy. He wasn't really a drug guy. He lived a healthy lifestyle. And uh, and he and that passing was pretty pretty uh, shocking. Uh, when you come from the era of the '80s, where there was so '80s and '90s, where there was rampant drug abuse, there was ma- uh, rampant steroid use. Uh, there were painkillers. There were just guys just abusing their bodies, not having a chance to. Uh, they're on the road 250, 300 days a year, and it wasn't as policed as it is today. The guys today are not doing what the what the wrestlers from the years ago did. But wrestlers from that era, you know, because of all the issues back then with the drug abuse, the steroids, the lifestyle, 
they wound up, we wound up losing so many of them. And, and that's the reason why. Does the WWE, which is obviously the dominant federation in pro wrestling today, do they do a better job not only regulating steroid use but uh, getting people that might be battling things like painkiller addiction? Do they do a better job getting these wrestlers help? I believe they certainly do, but it's still uh, it's a problem, but certainly not a rampant problem like it was. There's still those issues uh, with performers in the WWE and you know, even uh, and everywhere in wrestling, uh, WWE, uh, they, they do police it more and they do take more care uh, of the health of these wrestlers. And they intervene when they feel it's necessary. You alluded to uh, Vince McMahon. I think a lot of the people listening may know who Vince McMahon is. Uh, a lot of people may have at the very least, even if they're not wrestling fans, have heard his name. Of course, his wife ran for U.S. Senate twice in Connecticut and then was the small business administrator in the Trump administration. We It was a big deal uh, recently, a year or two ago, when Vince McMahon stepped aside as the head of the WWE because of some sexual harassment scandal. It was alleged that he paid off a female referee uh, kind of under the table as kind of hush money to silence her about a sexual harassment scandal. Then I had heard that uh, that he was coming back or had come back. What is the deal now, as far as you understand, Vince McMahon's involvement in the WWE? It's an amazing story. Uh, McMahon stepped down after not only uh, that allegation from the female referee that actually happened 30 years ago, Mm. uh, 31 years ago. He uh, just settled uh, a new civil lawsuit that she filed against him uh, most recently, really, over the last year or so. But that was the that was not the only allegation and that was not the only payment that was made. There were several. I mean, it totaled in the millions and millions of dollars. But what Vince did when they took the pump uh, company public years ago, he made it, uh, he, he, the, the, the bylaws, uh, he was in control of the voting shares. And when all the heat hit him last year with these allegations and these uh, disclosures of payoffs, he resigned. And he, you know, said it was time for me to retire, uh, even though all this heat's on him. And then, and then there was a power play uh, that took place where he put himself back in, removed some board members, added some board members that were removed years ago, and he controls over eighty percent of the voting shares. Well, and so why, why bother? Back. Why bother resigning in the first place if you were just going to manipulate the the power dynamic behind the scenes to mount a comeback? He's Vince McMahon. He does what he wants, <laughs> and it's the most fascinating. It's it's almost like Succession in a way. The HBO hit show. Um, Vince is never going away. Vince is seven in his mid to late seventies. He's going to oversee the sale of the WWE, which is in play right now. But my gut feeling, as a uh, a guy that's watched his career since the very beginning, I have a feeling he's going to find money to keep the company, take the company private again. Wow. He's not going to ever go away until he takes his last breath. 
If people just tuning in, we're talking with John Arezzi. He's co-author of the book Matt Memories and a co-host of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight, uh, which you could check out. It's a terrific podcast. One of the things that uh, I've learned in talking with a lot of uh, boxers over the years, particularly in the heavyweight division, is that uh, they attribute some of the decline in the popular fandom of pro boxing over the years to the rise of MMA. They say a lot of the people that used to get really excited about a heavyweight prize fight, uh, they now have that same excitement about a big MMA match. I'm curious if the same thing has happened in the world of pro wrestling. Have we seen people that were years ago pro wrestling enthusiasts become MMA enthusiasts? I think not to the extent uh, as uh, the damage that happened to boxing because of MMA. Uh, wrestling has a uh, fan base. They draw new fans. I mean, it's really an interesting dynamic how it's marketed, but I don't think it, it really affected uh, uh, pro wrestling, uh, the, uh, the rise in popularity of MMA. It, aside from your own book, you know, I know we have a lot of people that uh, that are wrestling fans that uh, can't get enough of wrestling books. I have a big stack of wrestling books that uh, that are on my list, and I'm always kind of researching what people think are the best wrestling books. Sometimes they're memoirs from wrestlers. Sometimes they're uh, people that worked in other capacities. Do you have a favorite wrestling book that's written by someone other than you? Oh, I always loved all of Mick Foley's books. Yeah, he's terrific. Nice isn't he? Have a Nice Day is perhaps my all-time favorite wrestling book. I'm currently reading the uh, McMahon book that's coming out, uh, Ringmaster, uh, that is coming out in March, and it's the uh, entire story of Vince McMahon uh, by Abraham Reisman, and uh, it covers his life from his troubled youth up until present day. So I, I just started that book. It was given to me by a friend. It was an advanced copy. It hasn't been released yet, but it's going to be a fascinating book, so I look forward to that. But there are so many out there that I would consider really good, but Foley, above anyone else, stands out as far as an author and his, uh, uh, and his books that he's, he's released. He has several of them. You alluded to the possibility of a WWE sale. One of the things that's been widely reported is that it may end up being a sale to the Saudis. Now, what would that I mean, what what do you think that would mean for the future of the WWE and pro wrestling at large to sell a uh, a wrestling company to a country uh, that is basically uh, not basically that is an Islamic fundamentalist regime? Well, they've given uh, tens of millions of dollars to the WWE. McMahon has, you know, has cut deals with them in the past uh, and has one currently to go over there to perform uh, a few times a year. Huge deal. Uh, it would. Uh, it's certainly not something that's embraced by anybody I know. Uh, and I think it would be uh, that type of buyer that would allow the company to be taken public, uh, private again. But I don't agree that it should be sold to the Saudis. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Um, but I, I, I am so, I think that's so Vince McMahon-like anyway, if that's the route <laughs> he's going to go. It's certainly true. Hey, uh, we have heard a great deal over the years about some uh, veterans of the wrestling business. And uh, recently, uh, just this week, uh, we heard that uh, – 
that uh, Jerry Lawler is uh, battling some health issues. Apparently, he suffered a stroke. And uh, it was also reported last week that uh, superstar Billy Graham is in a a very serious uh, situation health-wise. He's been battling a number of health ailments for literally decades now. Wondering if you could speak to both of those fellas, Jerry Lawler and superstar Billy Graham, especially to the non-wrestling fans in our audience, and the impact that those two men have had on the sport. Well, everybody knows the king, Jerry Lawler, from his uh, illustrious career, from even when he first came into national prominence with the Andy Kaufman angle uh, years ago. Um, but Jerry did suffer a, uh, a major stroke. I mean, he uh, he they got him to the hospital. He uh, he's 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 going to um, uh, be okay. Uh, he's going to have a lot of rehabilitation. But all reports that what I've seen, you know, his speech is slowly coming back. He's got uh, movement uh, of his uh, of his arms, uh, legs, and it may be a long road for the king. And here's a guy who had a heart attack on uh, live TV, right? And they had to resuscitate him. So he's had a lot of health problems, uh, but. You know he is he is a resilient fighter. So uh, you know our thoughts and prayers go out to him. As far as superstar Billy Graham, Billy has had an incredible amount of uh, just horrible uh, health issues that that are based from his years of uh, steroid abuse. So he is in bad shape, and he's got a GoFundMe out there right now. And mm. uh, Billy, I saw a recent photo of him, and, it, and he just doesn't. He just looks horrible. Uh, but Billy has been battling this stuff now really since, wow, 1988-89 is when he came on my radio show years ago and, and, and talked about the abuse and what happened to his body because of it. The fact that he's still with us, I think, is a miracle. Yeah, it is. It certainly is absolutely, absolutely amazing. You mentioned uh, interviewing Eric Bischoff recently, and he's done a lot of things in the wrestling business, but I, I think he sort of rose to prominence with his leadership of WCW. What's interesting is over the last two decades, since uh, WCW went out of business and WWE purchased WCW and they make all the documentaries and uh, a lot of the folks that uh, that are on the wrestling scene now have worked recently or do presently work for the WWE, I've noticed that almost all of the documentaries that come out now they go out of their way, whether it's the recent Ric Flair documentaries or uh, the Bobby Heenan uh, documentary on the uh, Peacock Network, anything. They go out of their way to kind of slam WCW. And I'm sort of reminded in of our discussion about Abraham Lincoln yesterday that uh, the victors get to write history. And I'm wondering if all of the WCW slamming that's done these days by people that are currently active on the wrestling scene if some of that might be a little misplaced. Yeah, I mean, I have to say it has been misplaced. I mean, Eric, Eric Bischoff kind of really changed wrestling when he went after the WWF with Monday Nitro head-to-head against Monday Night Raw. Eric was a visionary. And even though Eric, you know, some of his business decisions and some of the, you know, relationships he had with performers – uh, there's kind of heat to this day with him, 
But it was fascinating to talk to him uh, when we listened to the show from 30 years ago when he was named executive vice president because he was already formulating a different business model. And at that time, TBS was kind of like, all right, we've lost $19 million on this thing. It's being run like a frat house. Let's shake it up. Uh, and that's when Eric got his opportunity on the creative, on the uh, production side. And he, he was a visionary. And the fact that he had enough uh, – as Vince McMahon says, grapefruits to go after the WWF and convince uh, and convince Ted Turner to spend millions of dollars in talent acquisition and and to go head to head and they beat the WWF uh, for 83 weeks consecutively uh, back in the late 90s. So uh, it was fascinating. But yeah, he he doesn't get the credit that he uh, deserves for what he did uh, for pro wrestling. You mentioned a 50-year career covering and being around the pro wrestling business. We saw Cody Rhodes win the Royal Rumble. He's going to WrestleMania. He has his title shot. That is a, a an event that uh, for almost the last four decades ha- has wrestling fans around the world stand up and take notice. Do you still get excited about something like WrestleMania, or has the uh, luster of it sort of worn off for you? It depends on who's in the main event and what the show looks like. I still get excited about WrestleMania as I do with the Royal Rumble because I think those are great pay-per-views and they do a great job each and every year. So I do get excited. And I'm looking forward to this one with Cody in the main event to see if they're going to kind of complete the storyline where he's winning the title for his dad. Uh, I think that would be a great thing for Cody and for uh, the WWE to give this guy the title and to end the reign of Roman Reigns. If you had to pick, and we'll talk with John Arezzi, check out his book, Matt Memories. You could also check out his uh, podcast, search Arezzi, A-R-E-Z-Z-I, on Amazon for the book or wherever podcasts are available for the podcast. If you had to pick the best wrestling documentary that you've ever seen, what is it? Wow, uh, good one. Uh, there was the um, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but it it, it came out uh, several years ago. It had Jake the Snake Roberts in it. It was when Mick Foley was in the Raw. Oh, uh, I think it was Dark Rocky. Side of the Ring. Was that it? Well, Dark Side of the Ring is the series. That's oh, on oh. Vice. Um, uh, but I, I'm I'm sorry, I'm drawing a, a blank on it. But that was kind of the best documentary I've seen on 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 pro wrestling because it really captured what the business was really like. In uh, Beyond the Mat, that's it. Beyond the Mat, that was it, right? Beyond the Mat, exactly the mat. right. That's yeah. the one. If you're if you're uh, if you want to know what pro wrestling is really like, that's the documentary to watch. And also, wrestling with shadows with uh, Bret Hart was amazing. Yeah, that was really well well done. Obviously, it makes uh, it, it it comes from a very pro Bret Hart uh, perspective. Uh, it does. Lastly, the you mentioned the AEW. That's uh, one of the alternative federations uh, that's out there now. I like watching AEW because Chris Jericho's in there, and they do have a lot of roles mm-hmm. for older wrestlers. It, do you view the AEW WWE rivalry as anything resembling the WWF WCW rivalry of old? I don't because even though AEW is making great strides, their numbers are good, the ratings are good, the fan base is is fanatical. It's almost like uh, you know going to a, a, a rock concert when you're at an AEW show. Uh, it's being marketed to different audiences, 
Um, the more hardcore fan, uh, the more in-the-know smart fan, as you say, watches AEW. And WWE, of mm. course, is almost like, uh, you know, Disney when you right. come to uh, pro wrestling. Hey, uh, John Arezzi, it's always a treat to talk with you. I hope we can do this again soon. Oh, I'd love to. I thank you so much. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. You don't know how it feels. This is another Eric Ulrich selection the day after his birthday. I, you know, people um, people really don't know what it's like to be in the eye of the storm until you actually are. That is absolutely for sure. 800-848-9222. Eight open lines if you want to comment on anything we're talking about. That's 800-848-9222. Coming up next hour, we're going to talk about the smartphone and what it has done to the public in terms of loneliness. On the one hand, you'd think, you know, being plugged into text messaging and social media and everything else might make you more connected and less lonely. But the uh, research from Dr. David Burstein shows that uh, it's not necessarily the case. So we're going to get into that in a big way. Still a lot of fallout from the Super Bowl. You know, I did take a nap in the fourth quarter of the uh, the Super Bowl on Sunday. But I am amazed at how much of the game and the presentation, the whole show, I watched and then I just missed. I mean, I watched the Rihanna performance and everything else. And I'm listening to all this analysis from people. Oh, she grabbed her crotch or something. I missed all that. I mean, I don't know. I could have been just exhausted and maybe I wasn't paying attention to it. I could have been more focused on the pools that I was in. Uh, maybe it's because I had a couple of people over and people are talking. Maybe it's because I was trying to work at the time as well and I was distracted trying to work my way through a mountain of 9,000 emails. But... um I don't know what the deal is, but I, I missed a great deal of uh, of what occurred at the uh, at the Super Bowl itself. Sometimes it, I have to catch up with all the uh, the analysis that others are doing as well. But uh, all all good. I was uh, very pleased. You know, I got very little sleep over the weekend because I got home late from the Shatner shows, and then 
I happen to get up early. Got a very good night's sleep yesterday. Uh, but uh, I'm still dealing. Our son Carmine still has this cold. He's still got all this mucus. And it's been about a week now, maybe more, of him having this cold. I feel bad. You know, you think about a cold, usually it's something that lasts for a day or two. But he's still, you know, got a pretty stuffy nose. I don't know if it's time to take him to the pediatrician or maybe if just babies have a, a different timeline for getting over a cold. So wishing him the best. It's just so tough to see him struggle to breathe and weathe. He seemed in good spirits, though, thankfully. All right, until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Very unusual day in America, uh, North America specifically. Uh, We did not, for the first time in a while, we did not shoot down any UFOs. Obviously, this is a story that has gotten a great deal of attention. Last week, the big news was this Chinese spy balloon. What it was, what it was doing, the implications, the decision to shoot it down, the decision on when to shoot it down, and uh, where, where to shoot it down specifically. Then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, more objects, one over Canada, one over Alaska, and one over Michigan, more objects shot down out of the sky. And still, we have no idea what those three objects are. And I, um, I thought it was very interesting, and a caller brought this up yesterday, the comments by an Air Force general, current active Air Force general, saying he's not ruling anything out when asked if this was aliens, if this was something that was extraterrestrial in nature. I thought it was a fair question because the descriptions that we've seen of flying saucers over the years, they're not that dissimilar to the descriptions that we're seeing of these objects that were shot down, these flying octagons or these spherical shapes. So we don't know what they are. The government is not saying what they are. The government says they don't know what they are. They don't know if it's a a state-created thing, a private-created thing. They don't know what it is. But now, after the kerfuffle created by the Air Force General on Sunday, now they're saying, now, okay, they still can't tell us what it is, but now they know for sure what it is not, which I find just laughable. Here is the uh, White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, um, saying what these objects are not. And one last thing before I turn it over to the admiral, I just wanted to make sure we address this from the White House. I know there have been questions and, and concerns about this, but there is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Again, there is no indication of aliens or terrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Wanted to make sure that the American people knew that, all of you knew that, uh, and it was important for us to say that from here because we've been hearing a lot about it. Now, a couple things. One, I believe that, right? I I can believe that these are not um, extraterrestrials because 
If you look at uh, a lot of the videos that we've seen of other UFOs or other UAPs, the way these objects move, as soon as uh, they're, they're, some, they're targeted, as soon as they get on the radar, they move in a very unusual direction. The video that we saw of the naval pilots off the coast of the USS Nimitz, for example, is the, the best example that I could think of about that. But the way they move it indicates uh, it's something that's superior technology to what we have, not something that's sitting there floating slowly waiting to get shot down. That doesn't – that's not the kind of alien technology that I think of. But, um, two, who are these people laughing? This is a serious question. This is a serious national security issue. The government is offering no answers, either because they don't know them or because they just don't want to say. And who are these reporters chuckling and chortling like hyenas in the back there? I found that so disrespectful to those of us that have been asking these questions for a long time before these objects started getting shot down. 800-848-9222. Admiral John Kirby, the uh, spokesperson for the Pentagon, he came out and reiterated what Corinne Jean-Pierre said. I don't think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these craft, period. I don't think there's any more that needs to be said there. Well, how come? I mean, any evidence, any information, any reason why we don't have to worry about that? Very interesting. My colleague, uh, Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York City, former U.S. attorney for the Southern District, former deputy attorney general, former a bunch of other things, former personal attorney to President Trump. He was on his radio program yesterday. He addressed this. Here's where I am on UFOs. I do not reject UFOs because I don't think you should reject what you don't know about. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't been proven to me in a way that I'm comfortable with. So if you tell me it was one of these a UFO, I would tell you, I just don't know. I just don't know. I got to go with whatever hard evidence is given to me. And since, unfortunately, the Biden government lies all the time, who knows what the, what the heck I'm getting. But I don't re- no, I don't reject UFOs. I just don't. I haven't seen anything yet that ha- has me in the category where I can say, yeah, I'm sure there are. Now, I thought that was a very reasonable thing. What Rudy said there, putting aside the politicization of it, or saying, oh, we can't believe anything Biden says, what Rudy said there strikes me as very reasonable. How can you reject anything unless you know what something is? So you have a top Air Force general declining to rule out the possibility of aliens. That was at an off-camera briefing held at the same time as the Super Bowl. So jokes aside, this chortling press corps aside, The U.S. government's inability to explain the nature or sorts of these UFOs has been met by the public and listeners of this show, quite frankly, with a combination of fascination, curiosity, and alarm. So President Biden is facing real criticism, including from some Democrats, over this information vacuum. Axios reporting uh, a letter from Congressman Jared Moskowitz, Democrat of Florida. He warned Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin that the lack of explanation is leaving room for conspiracy theories to grow. So 
You could comment on the alien aspect of this if you want, 800-848-9222. But what do you think these objects are? I heard uh, another Air Force general, retired Air Force general who's been on this show, Thomas McInerney, tell John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby yesterday that he thinks they're Chinese in origin. Maybe. Maybe they are. Um, What do you think? And do you think the reason the government is not telling us, do you think the reason is because they don't know? Or do you think the reason is because they're not telling us? 800-848-9222. The White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, he's directed an interagency team to study the broader policy implications for detection, analysis, and disposition of UFOs. All senators are going to receive a classified briefing on this issue today at 10 a.m. And out of 366 reports of unidentified aerial phenomenon that were reviewed by the Pentagon since last summer, 171 demonstrated unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities and require further analysis. That's according to an unclassified report released in January. The thing that I'd be really curious about is what the differences are between the classified report and the unclassified report. Now, we heard those comments from Rudy Giuliani yesterday, which I thought sounded very reasonable. This is not the first time Rudy Giuliani has commented on the issue of uh, of aliens. He was asked about this when he was running for president back in 2007. That's 15 years ago. Can you believe it's that long ago? Well, he was at a town hall meeting asked how he would deal with a potential alien invasion. Now, he was asked by a kid, and, you know, the the impression that you get in listening to Rudy's answer is that he was just sort of humoring the kid. Fine. But this was what uh, will take you back in time to 2007. This is what Mayor Giuliani said at the time. If we find that there is something living on another planet, and it is bad, and it comes over here, what would you do? Again, with the laughter. Okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that that is the first time I've been asked that question. In presidential campaigns, you find, and you find that you get asked the same questions over and over again, which is good, because what it shows is that the people in New Hampshire are, are really concerned about the same things as the people of Florida and Iowa. And you, you guys are much more similar than you think you are. You are. You know, the, but that's the first time I've been asked, how do we get prepared for an, an out-of-space attack? Well, if we're properly prepared... For all the different things that can happen to us, we'll be prepared for that as well, right? I mean, we'll, so we, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be prepared for anything that happens. And uh, I think we have here a budding, this could be Steven, the new Steven Spielberg. Well, I don't know what became of that young man. I'd be curious to know. But uh, I thought the mayor gave a fair answer there. But it was clearly not something that he was thinking a lot about or taking great pains to prepare for. Meantime... Somebody that has spoken a lot about this, especially recently, and thought a lot about this, is former President Bill Clinton. Two years ago, he was on uh, the whatever the Regis and Kelly Regis and Kelly show is called now. I think it's Kelly and Ryan Seacrest, right? So he was on that show two years ago, and he was talking about the possibility of UF of aliens 
extraterrestrials, and UAPs in general. This is what he told Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest, January, I believe it was, of 2021. The truth is that we've never proved one, but there are things flying around up there that we haven't fully identified yet. And keep in mind, there are basically a billion galaxies in an ever-expanding universe. I mean, you can't even get your mind around the sheer number of things that are out there. But you've seen this. And <laughs> you've seen the, the data. Well, no one knows, but I think that the probability is that there's something you would call life somewhere else. Now, and again, I don't know who's laughing when the former president of the United States, the former two-term president of the United States, former commander-in-chief of the U.S. military, is giving a very serious answer on the possibility of aliens. But if you're not even going to take the president seriously when you laugh, when when he's giving a question, what are you doing? I mean, I think people laugh to hide their own insecurities and uncertainties. You know, I don't laugh. I mean, unless it's an obvious joke, I'm not laughing at anything. President Obama, um, this is about two years ago, he was on, uh, I, I forget, it was one of the late night shows. Now, this is a comedy show, but the president was making some serious remarks about this subject. It wouldn't change my politics at all, right? Because my entire politics is premised on the fact that we are these tiny organisms on this little speck floating in the middle of space. And uh, he goes on to describe some other things that uh, that we can explain in terms of video. 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with Dr. David Burstein about loneliness and smartphones in just a minute. But... Um, I want to hear from you, 800-848-9222. I really think the lack of explanation from the government is inviting a lot of this speculation. I don't think it's anything wrong with asking the question. Also, if you're going to dismiss something, again, I'm not saying these are aliens or an alien craft. Tell us. Tell us why you're dismissing it. I don't think that's unreasonable. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Kenny is in Brooklyn. Hello, Kenny. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Good. Well, we know each other, right? You, you know what I'm calling about. I, I'm a believer. Look, I'm telling you right now, Frank, this smells of a, a Roswell cover-up, okay? Listen to the similarities, okay? They both involve balloons or people saying, first they said it was a flying saucer at Roswell, they, and then all of a sudden they pulled back a couple of days later and said it was just a balloon. You see the same thing here. The, these pilots are telling you, the pilots quoted in these uh, news articles are saying it's a metallic cylinder, uh, uh, cylinder-shaped cylinder object the size of a car or now octagon-shaped uh, UAP. And they say it's floating in the sky without any visible means of propulsion. Even the... Um, Guy of Van Kirtland, Glenn Van Kirtland, the head of NORDAC, he said the same thing. He doesn't know how these things, this is the problem. They try to categorize it in the news article if they're balloons, and he said, I can't categorize it as a balloon because they're not balloons. We're trying to figure out what it is. And he doesn't know how these things are staying in the air without propulsion either. He said this in the article. And then now you see them pull back the next day. Oh, they mentioned uh, aliens. Oh, we we can't have that. It's the same thing like in Roswell. What? They're going to pull back now. Oh, what? You don't see the similarities? It's a balloon. They're coming back now. Oh, it's just a balloon. It's not, it's not UFOs. 
Yeah. You don't see that? Uh, no, I, I, Kenny, I, I think you make a very strong case. What about the fact that uh, a lot of the videos that we've seen of UAPs, uh, videos uh, from the, the Nimitz video, for example, that got the most yeah. attention, those objects move in a manner that is not um, not consistent with any earthly craft. They don't True. really sit around and wait to be shot by American fighter jets, even an F-22. These objects clearly did not have that same ability to evade uh, detection and evade chase. Right. Um, uh, go ahead. But there are different types of UAP. I don't know if you, you know um, Jeremy Corbell, right? You had sure. him on the show, I yeah, think? Yeah, many times. Absolutely. He's the one who came out with some these other um, UAPs that were shot by pilots as they were flying in the sky, they, they take pictures of them on their cell phones. You must remember them. They were like these three objects just floating in the sky. They, they, it came out. And uh, you can look it up. Did one looked like a cylinder. One looked like an octagon. And I was looking it up. Go look it up. There were these three pictures taken by our jet fighter pilots, and Jeremy Cor- Corbell got these pictures, and they posted them. And it's these objects floating in the sky, and it's on the cell phone of these fighter pilots. They took it, and they don't know what it is. But they said it's just hanging in the sky, not doing anything. It's not moving with the wind. It's just hanging in the sky. It's just like it's object-shaped, like an octagon in this. You, you know what I'm talking You don't remember yeah. those three pictures? No, I do, I do. So you think, in your mind, there's no doubt that uh, these three objects that we've shot down are extraterrestrial in nature? I wouldn't say no doubt. I'm just saying I'm putting the pieces together. Little pieces, like any good detective, you look at the little... He, the, maybe maybe that um, Nordic um, general is slipping Nordic. up. But he, yeah. yeah, but he's telling, he's telling the truth. He's telling what he's really... He's, this is the guy who's at the source of all the information. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, Kenny, and I got to run, but thank you for the call. I found it very suspicious that um, Corrine Jean-Pierre and Admiral Kirby both explained that, oh, we know these are not UAPs. Well, we can't tell you what they are. We don't know what they are. Oh, but but it's not it's not aliens, not aliens. Come on. I mean, I'm amazed that people just sit there and accept these as reasonable answers. I mean. What what if you you were to say, uh, oh well, you know, I, I saw I saw someone die, but it wasn't a murder. Oh well, how do you know it wasn't a murder? Oh no no no, I just know. It's ridiculous. It's an absolutely ridiculous situation. Eric is in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Hey hey Frank. Um, people, I guess people are a little like Pavlov's dogs in a way. Like you say UFO, and then people people are like they're really panicking now. Some some people I know. Yeah. But don't you think? Don't you think they they it, it was a surveillance platform satellite? Um, okay, and then they start calling a UFO suddenly. That's indifference to the Chinese, which is what I find. Um, I think it is, which I which is what I find a little bit more more disturbing. You know what I well, mean? Like, I, I, take me back. Back up one sentence. W- w- repeat the last sentence that you said. Well, I think I think they started um, calling them UFOs because the because the Chinese probably wanted them to change their verbiage. And then so, oh, you they think, have it that way with Joe. You think these you three know? objects are Chinese? Well, they're surveillance platforms, wherever they are. I mean, that's what that's what they suspend satellites from, balloons. Uh, well, no, no, we know, not the spy balloon, but these other three objects. You think those are surveillance? Well, I saw I saw one shot down. It looked like a something on a chute or a balloon, small balloon, and whatever was suspended from it. 
And then someone said that that one one shoot down was wait that's like from a video game. I mean, I don't know. They could do anything they want. Well, they're saying. Well, I mean, I don't. Yeah, uh, thank you, Larry. Yeah, they're, they're saying that these are not balloons. Again, they're not saying what they are, but they're saying they're not aliens and they're not balloons, which is interesting. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Bronx. Tom, what do you think these objects yeah, are? Hi, Frank. Some of these situations are hoaxes. Some of them are optical illusions. Do you remember Gabe Pressman? Well, Tom, Tom, years Tom, ago, the, Tom, the, Tom, the, the let, reporter. Tom, yes, I know Gabe Pressman, but well, let's yeah, just but, talk right, about these three objects, these three objects uh, that we shot minute, down. Now, hold it. Gabe Pressman did a story on that. No, no, And Tom, he was the Tom. one years Forget ago about Gabe Pressman. the 11 one that was Tom, owned by the Daily News. Huh? So forget about... The da- yeah, forget the about Gabe Daily Pressman. News. Tom, and Tom, they went up Tom, with the, bear with yeah, me. What? Bear with me. Thank you. Um, forget about the Gabe Pressman story. These three objects that we shot down, what are they? Hello? Tom? Yeah. The, uh, yeah, they, uh, are you still there? Yeah. Did you hear what I oh, said? Oh, yeah. So- okay. I didn't know that. Right. Anyway, the, uh, well, these three objects could be weather balloons. That they the U.S. puts up. Do you remember years ago there was a there was a hysterical story about somebody that said their kid got into one of the baskets carried by one of these balloons. Yeah, the balloon and boy. And the kid was floating around in the yes, atmosphere. The All right. Yes, I do. Thank you, Tom. All right. Uh, very very helpful. Uh, all right. We're going to talk smartphones and loneliness with uh, Dr. David Burstein in just a moment. Very much looking forward to the conversation. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This birthday bumper music selection, and I think I'm going to blow your mind, and you're going to want to re-listen to the lyrics, because uh, when I was listening to the lyrics just now, it's very interesting, the person who selected this song, John Gotti Jr. This is a John Gotti Jr. birthday bumper music selection. Um, It is his birthday today, Valentine's Day. John A. Gotti, uh, who a lot of people call John Gotti Jr., uh, he turns, um, I believe, uh, let me tell you exactly how, he turned, uh, I think, 58 today. Hmm? 
Um, I'll, I'll look that up, but I'm not. Uh, it is definitely his birthday, and uh, I will I will check on his age. Uh, all right. Uh, I let, yesterday we spent a lot of time talking about a very sad situation in New Jersey, uh, and it is it, so many people ended up tie, uh, tying the story of this 14 year old girl who had been bullied, and then the video of her. Uh, assault being blasted all over social media. So many people called in. It was actually a very difficult, very emotional segment to do from my perspective. And I'm sure it was emotional for a lot of you to listen to, but so many people tied this to social media and to the incredible prevalence of smartphones and multiple people called in and said that the best thing you could do is get your young person, get your your daughter, granddaughter, son, grandson, niece, nephew, whatever, little brother, away from the smartphone. Well, I have to tell you, I have been intrigued uh, by the work of Dr. H. David Burstein, who has written a book called Smartphones Don't Give Hugs, A Guide Out of Loneliness. It's very interesting. And uh, Dr. Burstein is kind enough to stay up late with us today. Dr. Burstein, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Frank, I'm absolutely thrilled. And I have to tell you, you have such a cheery voice that at this hour of the day, (laughs) you invigorate anybody. I'm really impressed. Thank you very much. You're very kind uh, to say that. Hey, uh, give folks a little bit of perspective on your journey and your work here. What prompted your research into this subject or these dual subjects of loneliness and smartphones? Well, it goes back a long way. I've actually been very interested in social media. Going back 30 years, I read a book by Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. I read a book by Joshua Meyerowitz called No Sense of Place. And the topic has always interested me. And now that I'm I'm a divorced father with three teenage kids, and I also happen to be a dentist, and I just want to make sure that even though I'm a DR, it's not. A, it's a DR like uh, Jill Biden's a DR. I'm got not, it. Got I, it. Right. I, you're, I you're... I, I, I don't try to be any more than I am. I'm just a, a citizen of the world, and I have a hobby of writing, and I decided to, instead of ignoring a topic, to actually lean into it. All right, so let's talk about loneliness, right? A lot gets written about this, and it's been much more documented over the years uh, since the pandemic began and since the lockdowns began. We've seen an uptick in uh, alcoholism. We've seen an uptick in drug abuse. We've seen an uptick in depression. And a lot of people say this all ties back to the fundamental problem of loneliness, not only among young people, but among adults as well. How big of a problem in society these days is loneliness? Uh, I think it's huge. I think it's a fundamental, primal emotion. Human beings were social creatures. And the thing is, if you look at loneliness, it's not, you know, with any emotion, we can consider it negative. Loneliness is just telling us we need a social connection. The, uh, the guy who wrote the book on loneliness is a guy named gentleman John Cassiopo. And he said just the same way that we have hunger to tell us about we need our need for food, we have thirst to tell us about a need for liquid, we have pain to tell us avoid things, loneliness is there to remind us we need social connection. And like with any emotion, it's not a matter, it's not the emotion itself, it's what you do with it. 
and it's a prior, it should be a prompt to action. So as much as people think loneliness is terrible, it's telling us to move our ass. You, you begin your book, uh, which uh, I, I re- really recommend. It's called Smartphones Don't Give Hugs, not only with uh, a quote from uh, Neil Postman, who I read that book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, but with a, a quote from a, a radio talk show host that a lot of people are familiar with, Dennis Prager. But um, it, Neil Postman, when he wrote Amusing Ourselves to Death, I think that was back in the early to mid-'80s, and there, that was long before everybody was carrying around a smartphone. I think in my life I know one, maybe two people that don't own a smartphone. Explain mm-hmm. to folks what is the connection between the loneliness problem in the country and in society in general and smartphones? Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's just a substitute for real life. And because it's so uh, it's so seductive by the way it works, that it just takes away it, it, it affects process. You get so much instantly, and people people want meaning in their life without putting in any effort. And unfortunately, with a lot of technology, it's great, but it affects process. And a sense of self worth comes from process you know if somebody wants to draw a picture do you get more satisfaction out of pressing a button and the computer doing it for you or do you get enjoyment from doing it yourselves and the whole thing with technology technology is wonderful it's it's awesome look what we're doing right now when you really sit back on it it's it's amazing it's miraculous but unfortunately but there's a process to it uh, that, we miss process. Yeah, uh, no, I, I totally get that. You also spend some time in the book focusing on the importance of nonverbal communication. Talk about that a little bit and why that is not uh, that's not something that's furthered by use of smartphones. Well, human beings, how, how did we first communicate with each other before we became verbal? You got, got a sense of of what people were like. By, by by body by body language, there's there's a a study that I quote about it's called the, the seven thirty eight fifty five percent rule that when we have make first impressions with other people, seven percent is only based on what is actually said, thirty eight percent is based on tone, and fifty five percent is based on nonverbal. The the uh, like if I if you're sitting out, out at a restaurant with a woman and you're saying geez, they find you really attractive as, you're, as your eyes are glazing around the room checking out everybody else. Where's the truth? Well, the it, truth is, is in the nonverbal. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a, a great point. You know, one of the things that folks may point to, especially younger folks listening, is that, look, the smartphone gives all sorts of people, uh, people that uh, might be otherwise reclusive, people that uh, might have a difficult time talking with folks in real life, uh, people that are uh, that are an invalid, for instance. It gives them an opportunity to communicate with the whole world when otherwise they wouldn't be. Doesn't the smartphone in some ways open up all sorts of new avenues for communications and interconnectedness with other people. I totally, totally agree with you. Many years ago when my mother was in a retirement home, I felt like saying I'll, every every one of these people in a retirement home should have a, uh, a smartphone. Why, why not? But at the end of the day, 
you can't get a hug. We're, we're physical beings. But I, I totally agree with you. Like, listen, the technology, when it's, you, you, it's like any time you, you can use any sentence, it's as if you should always use the suffix when done properly, when done in a measured way. Just today I had an observation. Can you imagine if every single time we had a new techno, social technological advantage, they mark, they had, it had to go through the same scrutiny that a, that a drug a new drug has to go, <laughs> right. whether it's whether, whether it's side effects, what's the dosage, what, like all the whole process of okaying a drug by the FDA. Can you imagine if they had to do the same thing with social media? Well, that's a, it's a great uh, it's a great point. Talking with David Burstein, his book is Smartphones Don't Give Hugs. Uh, David, my, my least favorite sound that I encounter throughout the day is when I hear my phone ringing uh, and it's just I, I just groan because I I don't want to pick it up. And then I mm-hmm. sleep during the day because of my odd hours. So I keep my phone on do not disturb. And I so dread picking up my phone and seeing all the SMS text message notifications, all the email notifications, all the Facebook notifications, all the Twitter notifications, all the you name it notifications that now what I've started to do is even once I wake up and start my day, I keep it on do not disturb and I keep waiting longer and longer to take it off and see all those notifications. And when I finally see all those notifications, two things happen. One, it's a daily kick in the gut to know that I now have to go through all this stuff and respond to it. But the other thing mm-hmm. is, these people that I have not responded to, in some cases for six hours, some cases for eight hours, they all then begin saying, hey, uh, um, why haven't you responded? Hey, what's the deal? They all begin following up because I didn't respond to their mode of communication right away. So uh, I know that's a long uh, primer to this question, but my question is this. Society, as it is now, now expects us to be instantly reachable. Professionally, personally, there is this societal pressure to immediately respond to things. So how do we, normal, average, ordinary people functioning in a society that have jobs, that have families, how do we participate in society but resist the societal pressure to be so smartphone dependent? Great question. Uh, with all of the people, self-help guys I listen to, the number one thing they say, get your phone out of your room. Don't, don't, go, don't go to bed with your phone in your room. And, and, you know, it's funny that you were talking about loneliness. There's a hell of a difference between being alone and loneliness. And a certain amount of alone time is healthy for us. And so what I often find that a lot, a lot of time, one of the, one of the chapters, it's about our, our reaction to change and fear. And it's a matter of develop, uh, what we do to develop our, our own character, because we're going to be spending a lot of time with ourselves. So we know that we need ourselves. And then when it comes to other people, you just have to say, sorry, there's too much of it. This, this stuff is like air pollution. People don't even realize how much it is. And we just are just have too much time. Not, not excuse me, too much availability. We have to learn to shut it off and just say these rules are important. I, I know for like with with it's funny when Dennis Prager's one of the things he he's an observant, serious Jew. He shuts off technology 
for 25 hours a week on Shabbat. He says, sorry, I want to be a human being. The um, You raised so many interesting points in this book. Is there any data to back up the kind of the connections that you make between the ubiquitous nature of smartphones and the rising epidemic of loneliness? I think it's just the uh, there's loads of studies uh, because I, I think but what I think what often happens like what often happens with people they. Uh, they don't even realize what's gone on because they don't even know, like they don't even know, like a lot of people don't even realize what the technology is doing to them because they really don't know any better. And then they, all of a sudden they realize, why am I, why am I feeling this way? Well, geez, you've just spent seven hours listening, watching uh, YouTube videos or playing a video game. Geez, why do I feel numb? They don't, they don't, people don't even realize. Like, I, I have feet three teenage children and there are times when you want to talk to them or they want to talk to them and they say uh, they don't even know I'm there because they're so engrossed in the technology and then all of a sudden they say why don't I have any why don't I have any real friends <laughs> because they've, they've, they've been thinking they've been conditioned that the that the phone is their number one uh, their, their number one companion but they don't realize it we, we need people it seems like uh, over the course of the last hundred years, whenever there's some sort of technology that uh, is used for either communication or entertainment or both, whether it's radio, whether it's television, whether it's movies, whether it's uh, Walkmans, whether, you know, whatever the case may be, there's this resistance from parents to allow their children to to use it. Um, is some of this just kind of the existing generation having a natural resistance to the next technological wave that the next generation is embracing? I, it's, a, it's a great question. I think that what ends up happening is adults have a tendency to say, well, what's the downside? It, uh, the technology is wonderful. If, if, this, if this technology made us not... This technology is unbelievable. That I'm again, like I'm having this conversation with you, or I could turn on the turn on the something, and then have a lifetime conversation with somebody in Australia right now. It's miraculous. But for, at everything that everything we have in life, there's a cost. Mm-hmm. And if you don't think that there's a cost, you're fooling yourself. You have a portion in the book uh, where it's uh, back to basics. You alluded to the uh, advice from some experts not to keep your smartphone in your bedroom. What other advice uh, are you able to give folks about how to allow them to use their smartphone as a tool and not to let their smartphone control them? Well, you know, what I, you know, it's funny you're talking about the, the smartphone in particular. The imagery that I have in the book is to look at loneliness as if it's a light on an emotional fuel gauge. And as much as we can worry about things that will be specifically lead to uh, loneliness, we should be thinking there's a continuum. We should, instead of concentrating on the things that cause loneliness or the light to go off, we should be concentrating on those things in life that get the needle to go as far to the right as possible. 
So it's, it's as if you come back, you know, if a person's, let's say, driving a car properly. Well, if they drive a car properly, chances are they're going to know that they have to top off the fuel gauge. And what can we be doing in, in the whole thing of being realizing that we're here to serve others? And when we're listening to a smartphone or watching a smartphone, we're not helping other human beings. And at the end of the day, it's what we it's how we serve it's how we serve others that really counts and where we find meaning in our lives. So how about some advice to it is Valentine's Day, right? And uh, this is one of those holidays where people that don't have a significant other or maybe don't have family, it's a holiday where they could feel particularly lonely. What do you have what advice do you have for people to make connections with others who might find themselves either because of circumstances or whatever else they might be going through alienated from the rest of the world. What advice do you have for people to uh, kind of assuage that loneliness a bit? Commit yourself to become a better listener. Pick up the phone yourself and call somebody. Figure out who you want to, who do you want to play catch with? Go back to get a good book. Start reading a book that you would start reading a book. Don't and learn to do things that you don't depend on others to assuage loneliness. Because again, you can be lonely being in a crowd with thousands of people, but you're still lonely. So work on your own character. It's all like you know what it is. It's all like the basic life stuff. Mm. Be your own best. Whatever what what it means to be your own best friend. Don't don't let yourself settle for second best. Find yourself when you're being lazy. Stop making excuses for your own sadness. So what are you, what are you gonna and what are you gonna do about it? And it's a very you know the thing, Frank. It's all simple, back to basic stuff of life. And, and, and you just realize it. It's all basic stuff. When a, a baseball team goes back to spring training every year, short to first, short to first, short to first. And that's how you, that's how you start. Start with the basics. I can't, since you are a dentist, I can't let you go without getting you to weigh in on an issue that we've hotly debated on this show. Is it better to brush your teeth before breakfast or after breakfast? I'm generally a brush after breakfast person, but I, I think the problem is it all depends where the washroom is in your in your home. If if let's say some somebody has a uh, somebody has their washroom on the second floor and you come downstairs, you don't want to schlep back upstairs to brush your teeth. So then you do it before. But ideally, I would suggest I suggest after. And, right. and then 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 there's the whole thing with. With flossing, do you floss before you brush your teeth, or do you brush your teeth and then floss? And I'm a floss first, brush second. The same way that if if you're sweeping um, sweeping dust from under a bedroom a, a bed, you get the stuff from under the bed before you sweep the rest of the floor. David Burstein, thank you very much. The book is Smartphones Don't Give Hugs: A Guide Out of Loneliness. I appreciate the time. Oh, I thank you very much, Frank. It's great to meet you. Thank you. Great to talk with you as well. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to call in at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We'll take your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
This is a birthday bumper music selection from Janine Watsky. I believe I'm pronouncing her name correctly, her last name. A very good friend of uh, my wife, Rachel, who she actually grew up with on Long Island. And this was a uh, birthday bumper music selection by her. The, um, you know, I read something recently, and maybe we'll get into this more tomorrow, because it's part of this uh, really interesting article, which has proven to be quite controversial over etiquette, over a guide for etiquette. And one of the things that it says is if you're white, you should not refer to the artist we just heard as a fitty scent, right? So I completely disagree with that because, as I understand it, and maybe we'll get into this tomorrow, the 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 origin of that pronunciation of his name was from Sharon Osbourne, who's as white as can be. So, I mean, it doesn't seem like if a white person came up with that particular pronunciation that it would be disrespectful to use it as a white person. I don't agree with that at all. All right, 800-848-9222. Any subject is fair game. We'll get into Valentine's Day and a bunch of other things next hour. Let me say hello to Tommy in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Hey, Frank. Uh, you know, sometimes I get lonely, and when I try to keep myself occupied, I, a lot of times I go to the dog part, and uh, and I watch the dogs play. It gives me perspective on fun, you know? And um, when they socialize, you can see the happiness coming out of them. It. It's pretty amazing, you know? And I feel that this pandemic has isolated so many people, and, and there's no, you know, there's no water fountain to, to stand around and talk to and chit-chat, you know? So um, it's hard to socialize. You gotta you gotta get out there and socialize. And I'm having a hard time with it myself personally. But and uh, you know, but when I'm lonely, I, I can't. I talk to the guys on 77 WABC like yourself, and uh, and uh, probably not the best way to socialize, but it helps. You know, hey, it's always good uh, to talk to guys. Absolutely, yeah, we're here for you. And I think that's a great strategy. What you just mentioned, going to the uh, the dog park, that makes that uh, makes a lot of sense. Tommy, uh, do, what's your family situation? Do you have family that you can keep in touch with, too? Uh, yeah, well, I'm the last of children. Everybody died young in my family, mm. my uh, siblings and so forth, my mother and father. But um, I, I'm recently separated from my wife. She's a dog rescuer, and she has a tremendous amount of dogs in the house, and I can't. I have anxiety and PTSD, and I can't handle the barking. Mm. So I had to leave, and, you know, just things ain't right with us, so I left, you know. Mm. That's it. Now I'm alone, and now I'm alone, but I... I'm learning, you know. I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get myself straightened out to the right way and uh, and socialize a little right, you know, a little better. Well, good, uh, good. Well, we're here for you. Whenever you get bored, give us a call. All right, we'll we'll chat, Tommy. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Frank. Bye-bye. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hey there, Joe. Hey, Frank. Happy Valentine's Day, buddy. Thanks. Uh, you too. Every one of your shows, man, gets me so intrigued. And uh, today, well, yesterday got, hit me hard. Because, you know, I'm very good friends with Frankie from Glendale. And um, I couldn't agree with that guy that was on that uh, was talking about the smartphones. I mean, it affects even people that are, um, how can I put this? Like, my wife is, like, obsessed with her phone. Mm. 
And I sometimes feel at night when I'm watching TV that I am alone and it becomes frustrating. And, you know, you could talk to people, but they're so brainwashed, Frank, and they're on that thing and they're in a zone. And my kids and I, 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 I told my kids, listen, dinner table, phone back in your bedroom. I don't want it. And uh, at the table, and uh, we were growing up, Frank, I always say this all the time. I would love to go back to the 80s, you know, and just being outside playing and talking to people on the phone. And, uh, you know, just, you know, these people want the likes and the hearts on Facebook. Who really cares, Frank? You know what I'm saying? If you if you can't verbally talk to somebody and tell them that you love them versus posting something, it becomes very, very um monotonous and it's, that's not me i like to talk to people and converse with people and that's why i enjoy calling your show and you're a big help to me in my depression when i have it and i like i said thank you frank for everything you do well that's awfully nice of you joe thank you and uh i i agree with much of what you said and uh, and thank you uh for your kind words about me and, and about the program but the the one the the one thing that i want to be cautious of and that's why i asked uh dr burstein the question is you, you ever see the film Midnight in Paris? It's a great film. Owen Wilson is in it. It's directed by Woody Allen, but Woody's not actually in the film. And I won't spoil much for you, but it has to do with someone in the present day going back in time to the 20s. because And he thinks that the 20s are a golden age, right? And then the people in the 20s think that the um the 18 the the 1840s are a golden age right and so the point is that everyone thinks what happened yesterday was better but whether it's uh, something that they were there for or uh, that uh, something that they've just read about meanwhile the people living in that time don't necessarily think you know the times that we're living in are pretty great. So there's such a, there's something in our brain where we look at yesterday, what happened a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, five years ago, through the prism of nostalgia. And that makes it better. Uh, even, even if it wasn't actually better. So I'm always hesitant to, uh, totally join the critics of uh, of people that delete their Facebook account and delete their Twitter because I have to tell you, I have been able to find a lot of great radio guests through social media. I've been able to find a lot of great radio topics through social media. I, I've been able to find a lot of great uh, responses to topics that I wanted to do on social media. So I don't want to act as if social media is just the worst uh, I've been able to use social media as a tool for political organizing and radio marketing and uh, and other things. I know a lot of people that have met husbands and wives on social media. So I, I don't want to act like it's a total villain. But the point that I think Joe was making and others who called in yesterday on the subject that we did yesterday is that young people shouldn't be, as their brains are developing – constantly bombarded with the stimulus of social media. Because if you look at the documentary, The Social Dilemma, which is quite good, they they have programmed the algorithms around these social media platforms to constantly not let you deconnect. 
that not let you disconnect. That's why it's so important to program in some breaks. And, you know, parents are very much at fault here. Not all parents, obviously, but I can't tell you how often I'll go out with adults and their children for lunch or dinner, and a child, sometimes four, sometimes five, sometimes three, sometimes six, that's really the age range, three to six, they're on their iPads the whole time. They're on their tablet. Uh, and it's just horrible. They, they're like zombies. All right, until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. So... Today's Valentine's Day, and I'd like to do something nice with my wife. I'm, um, you know, I, I consider myself something of a romantic, but neither of us really want to go out. We've gone out for Valentine's Day before. Neither of us want to go out tonight, uh, primarily because, well, one, we don't really want to have to hire a babysitter, uh, and we don't want to go out on the one night where everybody's out. We... You know, we'd prefer to stay home. Maybe we'll order some food. Maybe we'll cook. And maybe, uh, if time permits, we'll watch a a movie or something, right? So I have a feeling that a lot of people are in the same boat that uh, that we are. And additionally, that's one bucket. Additionally, there's a lot of other people out there that may not have a Valentine tonight, right? Maybe they're newly single. Right. I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm thinking of certain specific people. I was just about to out certain people. But it, it, you know, I get in so much trouble for revealing personal conversations. I can't even tell you. And you know what? A friend of mine, he's a, a, a politician. I don't want to say too much about him. He was yelling at me the other day for revealing something that he told me. You know what I've decided? I am now rejecting all social uh, uh, you know, invitations where I can't repeat everything. If you invite me somewhere, assume that anything that's said is going to be talked about on the radio. I, and I don't care who you are. Just w- whether you're, you're somebody that I work with, whether you're a politician, whether you're a gangster, just assume that, that anything that's told to me will be repeated on the radio at some point. Because, look, I got 20 hours a week to fill. So if I hear something interesting, you can bet the listeners are going to hear it. But uh, I will do my best to refrain from revealing the identities of any of these people. So some people may be newly single. Some people may have had a loved, uh, a a significant other, a husband, a wife, a girlfriend, a boyfriend who has passed away. And they may look to kind of do something for Valentine's Day to help them avoid feeling lonely. And you know me, I don't get to watch movies as much as I wish that I did, but I am a fan of motion pictures. I wouldn't even call myself a cinephile because that implies some sort of an expertise that I don't have. But I enjoy movies. I really like motion pictures and I feel like movies have the unique ability, much the same way that radio does for some. You heard from Tommy in Brooklyn. You heard from uh, Joan Ronkonkoma, and I can speak for myself. Radio, much like motion pictures, 
has a way to transport you into another place, into another direction. You know, for instance, we had this horrible shooting in uh, Michigan State University last night. It's no secret. I mean, it's no secret that this occurred. I'm not talking about it. And it's sad that three people are killed and others are, are injured. Um, thank, I was going to talk about it when it looked like the shooter was still at large, but the shooter was 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 caught and was found dead. So um, I'm not going to talk about this because uh, for reasons that I've stated previously, which is, one, it's just such a downer. It happens all the time. And my fear is that by continuing to talk about it, it leads to more copycat-style crimes. A lot of people look for an escape from the daily sadness that seems so prevalent in our lives. You turn on one channel, okay, you hear about uh, the Russia-Ukraine war. You turn on another channel, you hear about the COVID epidemic. Turn on another channel, it's the mass shooting du jour. Turn on another channel, you hear about crime. Turn on another channel, you hear about mental illness. Turn on another channel, you hear about homelessness. Sometimes you just need a break, right? So what I would like to do is help people, whether they're a couple, like my wife and I, my wife and me, whether they're single, like others, escape for a couple hours tonight. And if you have a suggestion for a really good Valentine's Day movie, it doesn't have to be a romantic comedy because I know that's the category that so often gets associated with Valentine's Day. But some people, some people just don't like a romantic comedy. If you have a suggestion for a movie that you can watch on Valentine's Day, whether it's as a couple or as someone newly single, I want you to call in and make that suggestion to people right now. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. When I was thinking um, what movie I would recommend to people to watch on Valentine's Day, there is there's a lot of films that I love, but there's one that immediately came to mind. It wasn't even close. Like sometimes I waffle or sometimes people will call in with different questions on the Ask Frank Anything Hour that we do on Fridays. And I'll say, oh, I wish I had more time to think about it. Th- there was an immediate, immediate answer when I came to ask myself the question, what movie do you recommend people watch on Valentine's Day? And it was a classic from almost 40 years ago featuring um, Nicolas Cage, Danny Aiello, and in an incredible role, Cher. What the hell happened to you? I really don't know where to start. Your hair's different. Ma, everything is different. Are you drunk? No, are you drunk? No, but I have a hangover. Where's Pa? Upstairs. Johnny Camareri showed up last night. What? He's in Sicily. No more, he's not. Well, he's with his dying mother in Sicily. She recovered. She was dying. It was a miracle. A miracle? This is modern times. There ain't supposed to be miracles no more. Well, I guess it ain't modern times in Sicily. He came right from the airport. He wanted to talk to you. You, you got a love bite on your neck. He's coming back this morning. What's the matter with you? Your life's going down the toilet. Cover up that damn thing. Come on, put some makeup yeah, on. All yeah, right. Ma, okay, fine. Well, you got to help me. Hurry up. Oh, my God. You get it. 
The brilliant Olympia Dukakis out, out, um, opposite share there in Moonstruck. I'll tell you, I don't care how many times I watch that film, Moonstruck. It is absolutely brilliant. It is hilarious. It is romantic. It's fun. It's a great kind of uh, depiction of New York. It's uh, a great pic- depiction of uh, uh, an, uh, a family that's of Italian descent, the one that does not involve gangsters. There's no mention of the mob or gangsterism anywhere in the picture. It's a wonderful film. Great acting. Um, a bunch of other actors beyond the ones that I just mentioned that are terrific in it. That's one of those pictures that even the smaller roles are so brilliantly cast. So I'd like to hear from you. That's that's my pick. That's my contribution. Moonstruck, 800-848-9222. If you haven't seen Moonstruck, whatever you're doing tonight, whatever you're doing today, depending on when you get time to celebrate Valentine's Day, either by yourself or with a loved one, you need to see Moonstruck because um, there's not another movie like this that's ever been made as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there is just – this is by far, and he's had a great career, by far the greatest role Nicolas Cage ever played. What's the matter? How can you ask me that? You're making me feel guilty. You again. are guilty. I'm guilty. Of what? Only God can point the finger, Loretta. Yeah, well, I know what I know. And what do you know? Okay, you tell me my life, I'll tell you yours. I'm a wolf. You run to the wolf of me. That don't make you no lamb. You're going to marry my brother. Why you want to sell your life, Shore? Playing it safe is just about the most dangerous thing a woman like you can do. 800-848-9222. Let's give folks some recommendations for a great Valentine's Day movie. What's yours? 800-848-9222. Let me begin with William in Asbury Park. Hello, William. Good morning, Mr. Frank. Um... I got two of them. First is American Beauty, and next is Forrest Gump. You know, I understand Forrest Gump. Um, I, I am not sure I understand American Beauty. Uh, uh, why is that a good Valentine's Day movie? Well, you know, it's 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 a love story between the the weird kid and the and the, the girl, and then you uh, got the uh, the whole. Uh, with the uh, father and the family, it, it's kind of like a, uh, a movie that makes you think and anybody can enjoy. And then you kind of like uh, can take it a million different ways, you know. And uh, I think it may, you know, spark up conversations between you and your significant other. Okay. other you know, right, well, your three of- you know, your point about uh, the romance between uh, Janie and the kid next door, I get. But if you, and and thank you for the call, William. You're right; it is thought provoking, it is conversation provoking. But I find if you and again, you know my rule about no spoilers, right? But if you look at all the romantic relationships in that film, they're all awful. Except for the Janie and the and the uh, and the young man um, whose name escapes me. I'm sorry, but it's a great performance by Kevin Spacey pre cancellation. Kevin Spacey when he was in his prime, but almost every other relationship in that film, it's toxic, uh, you know, it's or 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 just tragic. 
except for the gay relationship that Scott Bakula is in. But even that one, it's so almost cartoonish, right? I mean, it's 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 kind of. But whatever. I'm not knocking American Beauty. I think it's a great picture. It's just it would not even be on the. And I love the film. It, it's not even on my list of top ten Valentine's Day films. Um, I know my wife is a big fan of, and we'll see. I'll watch obviously whatever she wants to watch tonight if we even have time. I mean, finding two hours in our life is uh, is a struggle, uh, especially during the week. She really likes uh, the Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks films, uh, uh, movies like You've Got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle. So I, I imagine she'll want to watch one of those. 800-848-9222. What's yours? Loretta is in New Rochelle. Hello, Loretta. Hello. Um, Moonstruck is one of my favorite movies, too. Oh, yeah, it's great. I have another one that's absolutely adorable. It's called Return to Me. And it's from around, I think, around 2000. It stars uh, Minnie Driver. Carol O'Connor is in it. He plays her Irish grandfather. Um, oh, it's got it's got a ton of stars. I can't remember them all now, but it's the the. I'll just give you a little summary. That she is a, a young woman who had a heart transplant, and um, she falls in love with uh, a man who recently. Um, lost his wife, I think in a car accident, I can't remember, but he just recently lost his wife. She had a heart transplant, and it's just the cutest, simplest love story with, like, so many stars in the cast. It's funny. It's adorable. There's no nudity. There's no sex. It's just, it's like a good old-fashioned movie, and everybody I know that sees it absolutely loves it, well, including, you know, people my age or older, and um, all my, my nieces that are in their 20s and 30s, it's like their favorite movie. It's just adorable. You know, I, I've never seen this, and uh, aside from the, that you mentioned there's no nudity and no sex, it sounds great, so it's called Return to Me. <laughs> yes. Well, it sounds great. That's Your a good wife one. Will, you'll both love too. it. Your wife will love it. It's, I'll tell you one more thing. I know you have to go. It starts out kind of sad with the tragedies that happen mm-hmm. to both of them. So you have to hang in for like 20 minutes because it's, it's sad. But after that, it's adorable and funny. All right, Loretta, that's a good one. Return to me. I love Carol O'Connor, especially. 800-848-9222. So I asked Alex Barnard because uh, Kenneth and... Uh, and Matt Blaze are involved with other programs when we're heavily immersed in show prep. And he said his favorite Valentine's Day film, this was an interesting pick, I thought, his favorite Valentine's Day film was uh, Steve Carell's 40-Year-Old Virgin. Hi, how are you? So this is your first time getting body waxed? Yes, yes, it is. Take off your shirt. Okay. Oh, we're going to need more wax. I'm staying. This is going to be good. (laughs) And clear all my appointments in the afternoon. Here we go. So ready? Yeah. It's... Oh, you... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just your job. No, 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 no. That's okay. Uh, let's, Let's do another... That one little patch looks sexy, though. Does it look good? Yeah, it looks really good. Ooh. It looks mantastic. Okay. Whew, wow. I didn't expect that at all. I really didn't expect that. You got it. Wow. 
The first one's the only one that hurts. Yeah, well, those hairs are pretty deep. Okay. You ready? Yep. Bitch. Me. Suck a mother. You Oh, I hate you. I hate you. That is uh, Steve Carell in 40-Year-Old Virgin. So that's your favorite Valentine's Day film. Yeah, I'm not really like a romantic film kind of person, mm-hmm. and nor am I really a rom-com kind of person either, but that is by far the funniest rom-com ever written. Yeah, I it's think. funny. It's yeah. funny. Absolutely. That, that scene and the one where Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd go back and forth uh, while they're playing video games saying, you know, I know you're gay. And like doing, doing like you know, I know you're gay. No, you like Coldplay or like some, oh, that's funny. something like that. And that whole scene was improvised. That's to me some of the funniest uh, rom com material yeah, out there. I haven't, I haven't seen the movie in about ten years, but I remember thinking it was very funny at the time that I saw it. I thought it was very good. So, what's yours? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Again, it doesn't have to be a comedy. It could be a drama. It could be anything. Right? Any category that you think, whether you're in a couple. Or whether you're, um, you know, just watching a film by yourself on Valentine's Day that you think will lift someone's spirits. What's your favorite? So, so far we got Return to Me, Moonstruck, and 40 Year Old Virgin. What do you have? 800 848 I'll give you one. Let's hear it. Hitch. Hitch. With Will, Will Smith. Smith. That was pretty good. Eva Mendez, Kevin James. Is that the one where he plays like a, a dating doctor, like yeah. a dating expert? Yeah, and then Eva Mendez is the reporter, and she's doing a story on this dating doctor, but she's dating him yeah, 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 and doesn't yeah. know, and he's trying to help Kevin James. Yeah, yeah, that was good. That and was the, good. And the other one I thought of, because when you mentioned Nicolas Cage, I thought of Peggy Sue Got Married. That's a great picture. That, I, I didn't the, think of that the one. The time machine, it's going back in time. That is a great time. one. That's, that's a good that's one. That's a very good one. Yeah. Uh, Kenneth, you have something to contribute? Mine was Hitch as well. Before what? The two of you yeah. both picked Hitch? Before he even said it, I was thinking it, yeah. So that we know how the two of you are spending Valentine's Day well, together. we'll be together. There you go. And <laughs> what are the chances Watching of that? Hitch. Two guys uh, spend the whole show behind the scenes with one another. That's their favorite Valentine's Day film. Hitch. Okay. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to um, Billy in Queens. Hello, Billy. Frank, an officer and a gentleman. That goes without saying. It's the greatest ending of all time. Uh, 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 Richard Gere is phenomenal in that picture. Absolutely phenomenal. And I met Danny Ayo. I met Olympia Dukakis. But, I mean, I, I get what you said about Moonstruck, but that was really a sick story. The guy was having sex with his brother's fiance. And that was, I mean, <laughs> that's worse than gangsterism, isn't it? No, well, <laughs> I, I think the way it's done is uh, done very tastefully. And the fact, and, and again, you know my rule about spoilers, so I'm not going to get into too many details of the plot for people that haven't seen the film. But the fact that you f- still find so many of the characters so sympathetic, even though they do things like cheat on their wives, cheat on their fiancés, uh, flirt when they're married and they probably shouldn't be flirting, uh, date much younger women, as is the case of uh, John Mahoney's character. The fact that you still find all these characters so endearing, to me, counts for a lot. It's a, a beautiful film. Uh, I think it was written by John Patrick Shanley, um, or no, Norman Jewison, Jewison wrote it, and I think John Patrick uh, Shanley directed it or I, I might have that uh i might have that mixed up but it's those two uh they were a, a i mean it's a really just wonderful dialogue a wonderful wonderful yeah it's written by john patrick shanley and, and it was directed by norman jewison 
they both do just such a, a phenomenal job uh, adding so many different layers uh, to the film, really, as far as I'm concerned. Let me say hello to Bill in Connecticut. Hello, Bill. Hey, how are you? Max Dugan Returns. You ever seen that one? No, give me the title again. Max Dugan Returns. Max Dugan Returns. No, I... uh, Jason Robards? Yeah, I love Jason Robards, but uh, I've not seen the film. Tell me about it. And Matthew Broderick's in it. Jason Robards plays this grandfather who's beat the mob out of tons of money in Vegas. And... uh, He's sick with cancer, and he goes back to find his daughter that he's neglected because he was such a wise guy. And Matthew Broderick is her son, his grandson, and he's got all this money. So he, Matthew Broderick stinks in baseball. He's kind of a nerd. So Jason Robards Jr. hires Ted Williams to teach him how to play baseball. And his, he's, yeah, don't uh, don't give anything else away because it sounds great, and I'm reading the description no, it's now. Great. It's great. It's, even it's uh, a, it's, even Charlie uh, R- Charlie Lau is in it, and uh, I, a lot of people have taken umbrage with Charlie Lau's hitting method of taking your top hand off the bat as you swing. But uh, he's always struck me as quite a character. I'd love to check that out. Thank you, Bill. Uh, uh, Max Dugan returns. We got return to me. We have Hitch uh, times two. We have forty year old virgin. We have Moonstruck. What's yours? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Rich is in Carolina. Are you north or south, Rich? I'm North Carolina. Just moved here in July. Oh, okay. Well, good luck. Very happy. I had to retire to at least a red state. Had New York all my life, but I miss it greatly. So, speaking of New York, I'd like to. Obviously, I'm following your thunder with Moonstruck, one of my favorites. But another one that gets, doesn't get mentioned enough that has the great New York backdrop and great stars. Is Frankie and Johnny with uh, with Elvis? Al Pacino. Oh, oh, that Al version. No, Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't know if you call that. Yeah, Frankie you know, I enjoy the original Frankie and Johnny w- with Elvis Presley because just because I'm such an Elvis fan. I've actually never seen the uh, the remake with Al Pacino. Oh, it's it's a great flick. I mean, you know, I wouldn't you know put a lot, that much credence, but it's star studded, and if you like that New York feel, it definitely has that. Um, is without giving too much of the plot away, is the Fra- the Johnny in that version of Frankie and Johnny? Is he a gambler also? No, he's not. He's no. a hard worker. He's but he is an ex-con. Okay, that's I the only, that, that's the only thing that rubs him the wrong way. But uh, um, I will. He's a hard worker, and he restructured his life to uh, win back the woman he loved. I will put it on my list. Thank you, Rich Walter and Yonkers. What do you have for us? Uh, yes, Frank. Uh, I have two movies. One is called A Walk in the Clouds. A Walk in the Clouds um, is I'm trying to picture that one. I feel like I've seen that. Uh, what what is that about? Keanu Reeves and Anthony Quinn. Ah, yes. Okay, I know the picture. Sure. And um, it can happen to you with Nicolas Cage. And uh, I think, yeah, Rosie Perez. Yeah. And, and Bridget Fonda. That's a, I really love that film. It's funny. Uh, thank you, Walter. Those are both good ones. Whenever I don't have enough cash to uh, tip a, a waitress or something, I will always do the same thing that they do in that film. I'll say, if this lottery ticket hits, we're partners. And they never are charmed by that. 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to uh, Tommy in the Bronx. Hello, Tommy. How are you? Long time no speak. Um, Pritzi's Anna. 
Oh yeah, that is a good one. That I, that's one that oh, I haven't I seen that. in a while. Why Angelica do you think Houston? Yeah. Why do you think that's such... the old? Go ahead. No, please go ahead. The grandfather was the uh, first time I saw him was the drunk in the bar when Zero Mostel and the producers went in for a drink and they made a toast to toast. <laughs> that's the same guy that played the grandfather in Tritzy's Honor. Yeah, and, that's uh, a great cast. His name uh, Jack Charlie Ni- Potana. You got Jack Nicholson. Uh, and then uh, Robert Loggia is in that as well, one of Staten yeah. Island's greatest actors. That is a good one. 800-848-9222. Uh, Joey is on Staten Island. Hello. 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 Frank. Yes. Uh, I got two. First of all, uh, The Graduate. And uh, Rocky, the first one, I think oh. that was a love story. You know, those are both good ones, and I agree with you. I think that is a love story. I, I agree completely with both of them. So thank you. Don is in Manhattan. Hello, Don. Yes, good morning. Have you ever seen a film called Fat Show <laughs> with uh, Dom DeLuise and Anne Bancroft? You know, not only have I seen it, I love that picture. You know, that's... Um, that is, you know, the other day I was talking about Charade, which is probably the most Hitchcockian film never made by Alfred Hitchcock. That film uh, is the most Mel Brooks film not directed by Mel Brooks. I know it's directed by his wife, Anne Bancroft. I mm. love that picture. That is a phenomenal film. In fact, I have the DVD home. My wife has never seen it. We may watch that tonight. That is a great picture. Okay, great. Thank you. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Don. Uh, Fatso, Dom DeLuise, such a uh, a master. Mike is in Baltimore. Hello, Mike. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Always a pleasure. Likewise. Uh, sir, my, our, my, me and my wife's favorite every year we watch it is 51st Dates, Alan Sanders. You know, I, I'll be honest. I've not seen that one. I think my wife likes that one. I know that's a classic, uh, and that, that rates yeah, pretty you, high you, on you, all these reviews. Yeah, you just don't get comedy. You get a love, I get a love uh, uh, thing out of it too. So it's a little both. Great. Uh, I, hey, fifty first dates. Look, uh, I'm looking at this list of the greatest uh, Valentine's Day films. Several of them have fifty first dates on it. We're going to talk with uh, a genuine matchmaker in just a minute. Let's. Uh, so many of you are holding. Let's squeeze in at least one more call here. Hey, Steve in New Jersey has been patiently holding. Hello, Steve. Hey, Frank, great show, great Thank segment you. before. You. you know, I have a personal experience with that with that part since I moved my wife and son away for COVID. But for a Valentine's Day movie, there is a Daniel Day-Lewis film, which won a first-place award at the Cannes Film Festival. Now, it is English subtitles, but it's called An Unbearable Lightness of Being. Hmm. And And I will tell you that with my previous girlfriend and other friends that, We've had to watch the first half hour of that movie at least a dozen times before we got through the movie. It has that kind of intensity, and eh, things go off in other directions, which is desirable on Valentine's Day. I have not seen it. Give, tell me the name again. An Unbearable Lightness of Being. It was Dan, one of Daniel Day-Lewis's first films. I love it. Okay. That sounds great. He's uh... won a first place at Cannes. Uh, he is one of the greatest actors of all time, so uh, it's not surprising that... Uh, that I'll that... give you a teaser. I'll give you a teaser. He plays a young doctor. Okay. And he has all these nurses come, and he asks them, take off your clothes. That's okay. I'm a doctor. <laughs> 
That sounds but pretty there good. Was actually some, there's actually some real depth to the movie. And it leads him on his life path and eventually to a decision. It sounds pretty good to me, Steve. Uh, I'm putting it on my list. Thank you. Uh, we're going to talk with a real live matchmaker in just a minute, Julia Bendis, uh, born in the Soviet Union. She's an author and the founder of Match by Julia, a matchmaking boutique. We'll get into what single people can do for love, not just on Valentine's Day, but in general, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody who is celebrating. But um, Valentine's Day can be a tough day as well. If you're in a relationship, it can become a day where there's a lot of pressure, especially if you're early in a relationship, right? There's a lot of pressure. Okay, do I get a gift? What kind of gift do I get? Uh, do I, if I get a really elaborate gift, will she think I'm coming on too strong? If I don't get a gift that's uh, elaborate or expensive enough, then she's going to think uh, that I'm a loser. Uh, do I get chocolates? Do I get flowers? Uh, do we go out? Where do we go? There's a lot of pressure if you're in a relationship. There's also a lot of pressure if you're not in a relationship. Everyone goes and uh, uh, there's all, all this pressure to have a Valentine, to go out on Valentine's Day, to do something on Valentine's Day. Well, it struck me as a good opportunity to talk about uh, relationships and love with somebody who is something of an expert in this. Julia Bendis, uh, she is a star matchmaker. She is an author and uh, born originally in the Soviet Union and uh, lived in Latvia for a time as well. Julia, it is great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Frank. Happy Valentine's Day to you. How does one get into the matchmaking business? (laughs) Yeah, that's a funny story. You know, it's so interesting because every woman in my family has done this for generations. It's kind of a cultural thing, I think. My mom did this. My grandma did this just for fun as a hobby, of course. And 
Uh, my mom's side of the family is from Ukraine. I was born in Ukraine, but we lived in, in the Baltics in Latvia. And it was just, I really think it was just a cultural thing. We always, and I've always wanted to connect people, whether it was for love, for work, for whatever it is. I remember doing it as a child. You know, so-and-so needs a shovel. Here, let me take your shovel, give it to so-and-so because they need it. You give them something else. You know, it's just that connecting that I fell in love with and I always wanted to help people. And, you know, my husband told me, I mean, we've been married 25 years this summer. And he finally told me after years of me just meddling in people's love lives, sex lives, everything. He just said, just start your own company. Just, it's enough. Like, stop approaching strangers on the street, asking them if they're single. Just do it professionally. I thought, is that possible? Like, is that really something I can do? And apparently it's needed. So that's kind of how it started. How do you know when you're seeking to uh, match a couple? How do you know that uh, person A is likely to be compatible with person B? What characteristics, what qualities are you on the lookout for when you're finding potential mates for others? Well, you know, the interesting thing is when people come to me, they already have this whole list, right, of things that they want in a partner. And then when I start talking to them, the more we talk about it, the more it's just this preconceived notion that they think they should have all those things and it's really not. Or they feel this pressure from their family or a culture or society, whatever it is. So I just feel it. I honestly can't even explain it. I feel it and it's happened so many times where I just look at their picture, one picture, and I look at the other picture, and I look, I just look for things that they might not even see themselves. And of course, I'm going to take in consideration what they're asking for, right? I'm not going to set them up with someone that's complete opposite of what they want, but a lot of it is just a gut instinct and just knowing that these two people should meet for whatever reason. <laughs> And it usually has worked. So, but, you know, over the years, I've fine-tuned it. There's a whole form they have to fill out. There's a consultation that we do. And we work on it together. It's it's a process, obviously. It's not an overnight thing. Unlike some people think. They think I'm a magician. I'm not. (laughs) We're talking with Julia Bendis. If you want to check out her website, by the way, you can go to matchbyjulia.com. That's matchbyjulia.com. Julia, do you get do you get hired by both men and women, or do you have a special specialization with one gender or the other? No, I get hired by every gender, and it's just um, it's it's pretty interesting the age range, the cultures that hire me. People from all over the country. I even have some clients uh, overseas in Europe. So it, the youngest client, I would say, was. Um, 25, which was a little bit on the young side. I don't like to work with people under the age of 30. You know, they're still not quite serious. Mm. And the oldest was, you know, I keep telling the story, the, this guy named Marvin, who was 84 years old, but he kept forgetting how old he was. So one day he was 84, the next day he was 83. And I was like, you know, Marvin, at this point, just doesn't even matter. That's, <laughs> you know, it's all good. That's very funny. So, yeah. No, please go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I work with both men and women. They, it's um, all, all ages, all cultures. 
Yeah. What is your view of online dating, which seems to have exploded in popularity over the last 20 years? And in the last few years, we're also seeing uh, an uptick in people that use these these dating apps uh, to meet partners. Do you find that to be an effective way to meet somebody? Well, the interesting thing is that I actually think it's a great tool. And I'm glad that it was invented. The issue, because there, there's positives and negatives, like with anything in life. The issue is that people assume that as soon as they sign up, they're just going to meet someone. And that's just not the reality. I tell people that unless you have about a month to spend on that app or that site, just don't even bother. And a lot of People just sign up, create these profiles, and then they don't bother messaging people. They don't bother replying. They don't bother getting to know each other, and they expect to just automatically be in a relationship. So the, the issue with technology in general is that the more of it we have, the lazier we become, right? Just like with anything in life. So we have way too many apps, way too many dating sites, and people are always looking for what's next. What's better? Grass is always greener. So unless you can stick to it and unless you can be realistic and take it off the app fairly fast and not keep messaging forever, then it becomes frustrating and people give up. So it's kind of both. There are a lot of people, I'm sure you've encountered this and I'm sure you're aware, who prefer to meet people in person. Now, what is the best way? Where, where where are the hot spots? Whether you're a man looking to meet a woman or whether you're a woman looking to meet a man, what are the best places, if you're a single, that you can go in person to meet other single people of the opposite gender or even the same gender? Well, you're going to laugh, but um, <laughs> it's not a bar. And I personally think that the best places for people to go meet, well, first of all, it could be anywhere. You can meet another single person just about anywhere. You just have to leave your house, which people forget, right? Right. So I think the best places are Home Depot, Lowe's, home improvement stores. You know, I'm in California, so we have like Home Depot and Lowe's and all of these true hardware value places. Target, Walmart, Kmart, just shop down the aisle, start talking to people. My son is 23 years old, and he lives out in Kansas, in the middle of nowhere. It's a small town. And I tell him, I know there's not a lot of people out there, but just go to the store. Just start talking to people. And at first, he was kind of pushing back on it. I don't know. How do I approach someone? I don't want him to think I'm hitting on them. I'm like, well, don't be hitting on them. Just Start a conversation. Man, this line is taking forever. You think they could get more checkers? Anything. It doesn't have to be a direct, let me hit on you, you know, which women hate. But I actually think that to meet someone in real life is so much better than approaching them at the bar. Because chances are, if a bunch of women are together in a group, most men, and you're a man, tell me, would you really approach a group of women laughing and having a good time? Most likely not, because, you know, you can be intimidating. So I tell the women, go to the bar by yourself or just go to the store and start talking to people, even waiting in line. There's conversations to be had in everyday life, waiting in line at a coffee shop anywhere. Is there a particular type of person that would benefit from utilizing the services 
of a matchmaker? Uh, for instance, you know, you always hear about people that are super busy. Maybe they got a, a stressful job. They're working 12 hours a day and then they've got to commute and they don't have time to hang out at Home Depot or hang out at bars and, and meet people. <laughs> are those the folks that are most likely to use a matchmaker? Or if it's not them, th- then is it uh, some other type of person that's more likely to be a, uh, a matchmaking client? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Most of the people that approach me and other matchmakers are those that just don't have the time. And that's the first thing they say is, I'm tired of online dating. I don't have the time to screen through the people, to message everybody. I need help, which is really what I've been offering for the past few years is like a hybrid service of matchmaking, online dating, coaching, photo sessions, because Without great pictures, you're not going to get very far. So most people that do approach me are just super busy. They have busy jobs, careers. They might be parents or they travel a lot for work and they don't have the time to do it. So I do all the work for them. Give me the – you mentioned that you're married uh, 25 years, right? Give me for a veteran couple like uh, you and your husband (laughs) – what is the ideal Valentine's Day situation for you guys? Are you going out? If you're going out, where are you going? Are you staying home? What are you doing? Give me, for an, a couple that's been together for a while, what, give me a good Valentine's Day night for you. Well, it's funny we were just talking about that because, well, first of all, you have to know what each one of you likes, right? Because my husband is one of those people that – he can shower me with gifts every single day. I mean, that's just him. He loves gift giving. That's probably one of his love languages. You know, I know there's five, but I truly believe that there's more than five. And mine is not. Unlike, you know, I guess most women, I I don't really, to me, affection and quality time spent with me is more important. So he knows. Well, he still buys me a gift, and he did. He actually gave it to me because we are officially in California already in Valentine's Day. But to me, that's not what's important. So he knows that I want to spend time. I want quality time. And I know for him, he doesn't want gifts either. He just wants to spend time with me. So I think the most important thing is to know what the other person likes and not keep doing what you think they want or what it is that you like and communicate. Mm. So, like, you know, tomorrow we're just going to go and hang out at the beach and go get, you know, early dinner because we're old. Well, we're not, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> we got a teenager at home, but we're going to go and, you know, just hang out together. Really, I don't need anything fancy. And then we're going to probably come home and cook a fancy dinner for for our son and us. And, you know, because he's still here, can't kick him out. <laughs> so got to include him. <laughs> Uh, how how about a new couple, maybe one that's dating for five or six months, and this might even be their first Valentine's Day together. What does a couple in that circumstance do? There could be a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations, a lot of questions, a lot of stress in general. What do those folks do? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I think Valentine's Day is great, but it's just so much pressure on people. I really wish it wasn't a thing, Valentine's Day, because people go overboard and they stress. They're so anxious about it. So I really do hope that people don't go on first dates 
on Valentine's Day because that's terrible. They shouldn't. Just like you shouldn't go on a first date on your birthday. Mm. It's just, you know, I think it's wrong. It's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of expectations. I think, again, you need to communicate. You need to understand that person, what it is that they want to do. You should be creative. And it depends on what that person is into. I think you can talk about things and say, listen, I was thinking we could go for a nice romantic dinner and then go for a walk down the boardwalk or beach or whatever it is, right? What do you think? Does that sound great to you? Now, if they know that person well enough, which in the beginning you don't, it's really hard because you can put it out there and then they come back with and say, well, why didn't you just plan the whole thing for me? I don't want to have to pick what I want to do, which is wrong, you know, because that person doesn't know them so well. So I always say communicate, give them options and then plan it. Yeah, no, that's that's good advice. Very pertinent. Talking with Julia Bendis. Julia, you've got a book out uh, called No Smiling Aloud, Growing Up in Soviet Russia and Other Funny Stories from a Jewish immigrant. Uh, it's available on Amazon if people want to check out uh, check it out. Uh tell folks about it. What's this what are people going to get out of this book? Well, like it says it's a, it's a pretty funny book, but apparently it's also um uh, sad because it is our story coming here and uh being persecuted and having to basically leave everything behind and come to a whole new country and assimilate and learn new language and culture and everything else. And, um, but along the way, there were such funny stories, which it didn't start out as a funny book. I was just writing all these stories down as a memory for my children to pass down my grandkids. And then when I would give it to people, they would start reading, they were cracking up laughing. I'm like, what is so funny? I mean, like the stories about, you know, when we came here, it was still part of Soviet Union. It was still communist. So we didn't, nobody really knew what banks were. I mean, we knew what banks were, but nobody had money in there. We didn't know what checks were. So my parents would get paid in checks at work and they would just put them in their desk and leave them there and wonder how the hell they're going to pay the bills. And so finally, someone at my mom's work said, well, why aren't you depositing the checks? And she goes, what do you mean? Well, where do I deposit in it? A bank. What bank? You know, somebody literally had to tell them where to go, how to get their money. Mm. So it's stuff like that. You know, these stories which were heartbreaking at the time now are hysterical, of course. So it's just short, funny stories about stuff like that. Life there, life here. That sounds great. I I can't wait to check it out. Uh, Again, uh, it's available on Amazon. It's called No Smiling Allowed. Hey, Julia, before uh, we run out of time, uh, since you mentioned that you're from Ukraine, uh, give me your take on what we're seeing in Eastern Europe Europe right now with this Russia-Ukraine war. Any unique uh, perspective on it, given your history? Yeah, you know, it's from day one has that that. Thursday that it all started in February. Um, my son and I both have been helping just with whatever we can um, because it's just it, you can't even imagine the things we hear, the things we we see, and um, the torment, the torture. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of the Russian-speaking world in all over the world, but Russian-speaking people in the United States are actually believing the propaganda and believing that this is a just war and that it should have happened and that, um, you know, this this is for the, the good 
the better of, you know, the world, so to speak. So, which is very sad, you know. Um, but if they watch anyone who is Russian speaking, because as you know, everybody spoke Russian, they still do in Ukraine everywhere. Sure. But those that are in the United States that have immigrated, a lot of people around the world that follow Russian news specifically on YouTube, all over on Russian channels, um, they're very good at propaganda and they're very good at brainwashing. And it's really, really sad to see that there's people that think this is this is the right thing to do. You know, uh, we're all praying that it ends. And unfortunately, it's just going to keep going. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, for everybody's sake, hopefully uh, it ends sooner rather than later. Hey, Julia, I really enjoyed the conversation today. I uh, hope everybody checks out your book. No smiling aloud. Hope we could talk again soon. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, if you want to learn more about uh, Julia Bendis or if you're in the market for a matchmaker, you can go to matchbyjulia.com. That's matchbyjulia.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. bumper music selection uh, from last week from um, Davina Tomasula, who was my bartender at my bar that I would go to every day, Sugar, which was in downtown Manhattan, but it closed many years ago. And I mean, you took it 16, 17 years ago. She was my bartender. And uh, these days she's doing really well. You can check out her website, forkandplate.com. That's forkandplate.com. She um, owns a bar now in Poughkeepsie herself, which is great. And uh, she's actually going on HGTV. She has a TV show on uh, HGTV starting in June. So told her we'd have her on closer to uh, to June. It, interestingly enough, um, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Uh, a lot of people holding. Yeah, let me try to get to as many people as we can here. Uh, David is in Arizona. Hello, David. Hey, good morning, partner. I got one for you. It's uh, McClintock, classic, old school, John Wayne, Maureen O'Hare, Chill Wills, Pat Wayne. It's a love story. There's a jealousy in there. It's got a young Yvonne DeCardo Lily 
from the Munsters, smoking hot. You know, Marino here, what a classy lady. I'm with you. I, I, I love that I mean, picture. I love that I, picture. I knew, I knew Bob Shelton. He used to run old Tucson. They would, they filmed that down here in, in Tucson. There's a fight scene where they go down the side of the hill in the mud in the, and John Wayne and Marino Hare did their own stunts in that movie. And they and Bob Shelton one day was talking about the filming of McClintock. It was filmed back in 63, classic movie. And my honorable mention is uh, Two Mules for Sister Sarah. Uh, I, young Shirley MacLaine, she plays a nun and Clint, e- Clint Eastwood. Uh, you know, I love, uh, I love Clint Eastwood as well. I got to check that one, yeah. one out. But yeah. McClintock's a great pick, especially if people like John Wayne like I do. That's a great, great suggestion. All right, um, 800-848-9222. You know what the new trend is now on the Internet? De-influencing. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Until then, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cats paid or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. So we follow what goes on in social media. We've talked about what goes on in social media. And one of the things that we've seen in terms of a celebrity that did not exist 15 years ago, the job did not exist. You know, you could be famous for being 15 years ago a movie star, a musician, an athlete, a radio talk show host. Uh, whatever else, right? You could be a reality, you know, reality show star, whatever. Lotto winner. Well, over the course of the last 10, 15 years, we've seen a rise in what they call social media influencers. I think most people understand the concept, right? You go on YouTube, you go on TikTok, you go on Instagram, you go on Facebook, and you're an influencer. You you develop this big following because you make videos or some things other than videos, and you're entertaining. And, and it goes on in politics, goes on in fashion, it goes on in uh, food, certainly. And you develop this big following, and because brands want to reach your followers, because some of these influencers, they have audiences larger than network television. I mean, in some cases, substantially larger friend of mine is a TikTok influencer, talks about food. He's got millions of followers, millions. So that's interesting. And p- brands pay them just like advertisers would pay a radio station or a TV station to reach the people listening to or watching that show. Brands pay these uh, social media influencers to talk, talk about their product or endorse their product. 
Same concept as television and radio. Well, now something has emerged, which I'm just hearing about, but that's because I'm not really plugged in to the whole social media scene. Something has emerged, which I think is so interesting. And I'm surprised that it took this long. Something has emerged called the trend of being a de-influencer. Forbes magazine, a week ago, the new phenom of de-influencing is changing influencer culture. The Today Show, a week ago, what is de-influencing? Influencers weigh in on the TikTok trend. New York Post, I'm a TikTok de-influencer. Don't buy these trash viral products. So, um, evidently, what a de-influencer is, is someone that criticizes a product. Usually it's a product that has gone viral and that everybody is being told is such a great product. Could be it's very big with fashion, very big with beauty, but it could take any form, right? For instance, here is TikTok D influencer Liv Markley talking about certain skincare products. This whole de-influencing thing is absolutely great. I love that we're not promoting overconsumption anymore. And I'm going to share my part two products that are not worth your money, even though they were super hyped up on TikTok. Starting off strong with the Rode um, Peptide Glazing Fluid. It's not that this is necessarily a bad product, but I was expecting this to be like a super dewy, glossy finish. And it's literally just like... A hydrating serum, nothing special, has niacinamide. In theory, you would think I would love the NARS Light Reflecting Foundation considering I am a skincare TikToker and this is supposed to be skincare infused, but it pills on me. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Leave me tips down below on how you use this product. Um, The CeraVe SA cleanser, actually not this one. I actually got rid of it. That's how much I disliked it. That cleanser just really dried out my skin. The Dior lip oil is mid. Like, definitely get the clearance one if you're going to get one. This should not be more than, like, $10. So, you get it. It's people who have large followings going online and explaining why they don't like things. And the reason I'm so, I'm I'm shocked that this has taken this long to become a trend is because, you know, if you look at theater critics, literary critics, uh, uh, you know, film critics... They have for decades, centuries, really, made, not film critics, but everything else, they have for a long time made a living telling people what's not worth seeing, what's not worth doing. And social media in general is just such a cesspool of negativity. For instance, if you go to our Facebook group, ours is actually not as bad uh, with the exception of John from Brooklyn, who is on a rampage over a different issue each day. I think it's uh, this week it's that we didn't make a big deal about Darwin's birthday. Um, happy birthday to Darwin w- yesterday or the day before, whatever it was. Thank thank you for evolution. But, uh, for instance, this one fella, Greg, who's also kind of a negative nilly. Maybe there are more negative people in here than, uh, than I, I realized. So he writes... Did I just hear Frank complain about his self-inflicted social media notifications while frequently soliciting new social media followers? Yes, Greg, you did, right? Because unfortunately, uh, just to address Greg here, unfortunately, what we've seen in media, in politics, in um, really every sphere, quite frankly, 
is that unless you have a big social media following, you're not really taken seriously. Like, for instance, I told you about how um, I wrote an op-ed for The Hill the other day, and they declined it. And I think it was pretty well written. Now, maybe maybe I have an uh, exaggerated opinion of my own writing style, but I, I think if I had 400,000 Twitter followers instead of uh, 9,000, whatever I have, I think they would have published that. So um, there's instance after instance in terms of who gets booked on radio shows, who gets considered for different radio and promotional opportunities, who gets booked on television shows. So much of this is determined by the social media followings that people have. So unfortunately, Greg, given the fact that I'm in a field where there's so much pressure to build a social media following, I have to kind of play the cards that I'm dealt, right? I mean, if you're a larger-than-life superstar along the lines of uh, a Howard Stern or a Rush Limbaugh or a Bill O'Reilly, maybe you don't have to play the social media game. But all those guys do or did in the case of Rush. So uh, they all have a whole social media uh, following as well. So, yeah, you, you do. I don't like it, but I, I try to use the powers of social media for the positive, which is one of the things that I want to do right now. I can't um, tell you how much I wish. I get fooled by all these infomercials, right? We have three television sets on uh, with no sound right now, four actually. And I look at the infomercials that run, the little mini infomercials that run late at night for anything. It could be for knives, could be for pans, even though I don't cook could be for blenders, it could be for uh, a joint cream, could be for sunglasses. Right now I'm looking at an Australian dream. I don't even know what that is. It looks great. And I am so compelled to buy these things. For instance, I bought something called Alien Tape. Alien Tape. And it's supposed to be this great thing that you could use for all sorts of different things. It's double-sided tape. It's great. It is, And obviously I like the alien aspect of it. It is garbage. It is absolute garbage. And I wish someone would have told me before I purchased this alien tape that it was garbage. Now, I I guess that's why, depending on where you go, you can look at the reviews and see what the reviews say. But uh, I didn't do that. So what I want to do now is I want to invite you to be a radio de-influencer. I want you to call up. At 800-848-9222, that's 800-848-9222, and I want you to reveal to the public something, could be any type of product, that they should avoid purchasing. And it shouldn't be something that you have a personal vendetta against, uh, you know, your ex-boyfriend has a meatball restaurant and you're encouraging people not to go there. It should be something that you've tried and you don't like, and you can explain why you don't like it. 800-848-9222. For instance, you could say, I tried XYZ birth control and I had triplets. It didn't work for me. Stay away from XYZ birth control. You could say, oh, you know, in my case, I mentioned the alien tape. Didn't work. Could be a health product, could be a beauty product, could be a food, could be a book, could be anything. 800 848 
any product or even a service that you've purchased that you find is kind of a ripoff and you want to encourage someone else to buy. This is your opportunity to be a Radio D influencer. 800-848-9222. For instance, here is Chloe from the world of TikTok on certain hair bands. You do not need to buy one of those puffy, cute headbands to do your makeup. They are all going to keep the hair out of your face if that is what you are worried about. You can literally get headbands at your Dollarama. Um, And if you're still in the mood for learning about certain makeup products, Helen's Lens will straighten you out. There are some things you definitely don't need to buy from someone who's literally tried everything, so don't make my mistakes. Don't need more makeup brushes. If you're a makeup artist or maybe a makeup content creator, you don't need this many brushes. I'm pretty sure this is only one third of the brushes that I have and I only use around three or five on a good day. And the makeup brushes last a really long time and the ones I gravitate towards are the ones I've been using for like the past five to eight years. You also definitely don't need to buy another facial tool. Now don't get me wrong, I love my gua sha's, but honestly, I have like three of them and I only gravitate towards like a certain shape that I like. This also goes for the new face as well. Honestly, just choose any facial tool and just stick to that one. If you're going to get the new face, stick to the new face. If you're going to gua sha, just stick to it. Be consistent and you'll see the best results from that. You also definitely don't need to buy a sheet mask. I do love a good sheet mask, but it's kind of expensive for a one-time use product. So honestly, I've been gravitating towards these jar masks. I find that you can get a lot more uses out of this. You can also use one of these silicone masks with any serum underneath and it basically acts the same. So give me a product that you've tried that has not worked for you and that you would discourage someone else from purchasing. Two open lines, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with John in Freehold. Hello, John. Hey, Hernando. I I just wanted to say I love Alien Tape. What was your problem with it? I I couldn't get it to stick. Uh, It didn't work for me. No, you just got to press down hard, and I hang everything with it. It hangs up all my pictures, uh, frames, everything. Yeah, I, we we tried it for a bunch of stuff, and I ended up with a bunch of stuff falling off the wall and uh, frames breaking. Quite frankly. Oh wow, um, yeah, but one uh, one product I hate uh, is uh, Gorilla Glue. Oh, they Gorilla say, Glue! How come you don't use it like, for your hair? Do you like that one woman? <laughs> no, like crazy glue works all the time for me, but I bought Gorilla Glue. And it just it, it nothing it nothing sticks like anything I try to glue just breaks apart. Well, it, so, sounds, it sounds like my experience with uh, aliens. All right, so gorilla glue is off the list in the John from Freehold household. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you have a problem with alien tape. It's a I, I when I bought it, I bought it because it had a picture of an alien on it. I guess like well, you me did. too, right? Exactly. It's like, it's like the greatest thing I've ever. Well, you have actually inspired me. I do respect your opinion, um, and I will, uh, I will, I will check it out again. Um, I would say, what I would say, Frank, is uh, whatever you're applying it to, press, you know, press a little hard, make sure it's on there good, and you know, give it a little pressure, and you'll and like hold it up for a couple seconds, and it'll it'll stay. Interesting. Okay, I will. uh, I will. I will give it another shot, but uh, so far my experience has not been great. Thank you, John. Give me a product or a service that people should not buy, that they should avoid at all costs, 800-848-9222. Also, we're going to go through the mail in a little bit. If you want to try and get your email read on the air, 
You can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, guys, I hope this fits in with your category, but I don't think people, nobody should ever buy underarm spray deodorants because what they're doing is they're just doing it for the experience, the exhilarating experience of seeing of airborne particles come out in a spray under your arm. It's just so unnecessary because I use mineral salts, which which not only do they not uh, present a danger of inhalation of all kinds of chemicals, hydrocarbons, and, and screwing up the atmosphere, but mineral salts absorb all the smell under your arm, and they're totally safe. You're not absorbing any dangerous chemicals. So I don't know why anybody buys spray underarm deodorants other other than to be obnoxious. Well what basically. about um what about just a regular stick of deodorant? A roll okay, roll ons are good too, but they're they're still a little bit toxic, but that's the person's business. I okay, roll ons I would approve of also, but not just not sprays, that's all. What um what are mineral salts exactly? Mineral salts, uh, well, you have to ask a chemist, but they really are. Mineral salts are minerals, actually, like a rock. Sometimes they used to have a rock that you just, a solid rock that you just roll under your arm. I guess the mineral salts are the liquid form of that rock, where where it's really minerals and uh, and salts, natural things that absorb the spell, and they work amazing. And, and not only that, but they're scented naturally also, and they give you a beautiful um, scent, natural scent, basically. So it, it goes on. I've, I don't think I've ever tried this. It goes on under your arm, just like deodorant, like a like roll-on deodorant would. No, it's a little spritz. It's a spray bottle, but it's not an aerosol spray bottle. Interesting. It gives a little liquid spritz under your arm, and that's and it's all two two spritzes, and that's all you need, basically. I, I will try that, actually. Uh, thank you, Larry. I appreciate that. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You know, my brother uh, got me in the habit for a time of using, I'm trying to think what it was. It was either aluminum-free deodorant or it was natural deodorant, and I didn't like it. it um, I forget what it was doing that I didn't like. I think it was... Um, I think it was causing redness under my arm. I don't remember the circumstances. It was creating redness. And so I stopped using it. And so I went back to Dove. And so I use a Dove deodorant and antiperspirant, which is pretty mild, which I think works out pretty well for me. I have not heard any complaints uh, from any of my coworkers or colleagues about, you know, that I'm that I'm dealing with body odor or anything. Oh, maybe they wouldn't tell me. But um, – I also uh, I know a lot of people who've used organic deodorants over the years, including friends and family members of mine. And I have to tell you, I don't think it works. It uh, and again, it's probably better for you. It's probably better for the environment. But I have encountered these people that are singing the praises of organic deodorant, and they end up smelling. Pretty offensively, I have to say. So, I mean, again, with the understanding that it's maybe worse for the environment and worse for you, I like these Dove these Dove deodorants. I, I don't feel like it makes you smell. 800-848-9222. We're giving you an opportunity to be a radio de-influencer. What is something that um, people should not purchase? 
coming. Um, let me say hello to Sarah in Wisconsin. Hello, Sarah. Frank, I'm so glad that it went well with William Shatner. You know, he's coming to Milwaukee. Is he really? Yeah, and um, he was telling me, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but... Oh, look at this! Commercial for Alien Tape! On right now. Hang on. Look at that, Matt Blaze. See, it's on removable, no sticky residue. Fraud! That does not work. That does not work. All right, Sarah. So um, I I bought it, too. Alien Tape does not work. Oh, so you you had the same experience that I did. Oh, terrible. Terrible. But anyway, um, Shatner was telling me that of all the shows he's doing all over the country, Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, Texas, uh, the two in New Jersey, so far the only one that they've had a tough time selling out has been in Milwaukee. What's going on with you Wisconsin, Wisconsinites that you're you're not running to uh, this Shatnerian screening? Too cheap. Too cheap. Is that what it is? Yeah, probably. You know, in Wisconsin. Although Bill Shatner was my very first crush in the universe. And at 11, by the way, I was 11. All right. Well, if I come out there with him, you have to come, okay? I might do that. If you came with him, I might do that. Okay, here's my product, all right? Being married to a plastic surgeon for 20 years and why I divorced him when I was only 48, I'll never know. But there are a lot of older (laughs) women in your audience, such as myself, and Plexiderm does not work. What is Plexiderm? Well, that's a wrinkle cream that you put on, and they have this stunning video. I've tried it. But I do have a product women should work as the ex-wife of a plastic surgeon. I know all about that stuff. And it's Dr. Savenor, Dr. Savenor Wrinkle Repair. And it works like a charm. It's amazing even to me. And I've tried every product, you know, on earth since I have been divorced for 20 years. So that's my thing. Plaxiderm is a no-go. Plaxiderm, a no-go. And I trust Sarah. Hopefully I'll see you in Wisconsin Sarah, if I do end up making my way out there with Bill, so far I, I told them that I would uh, be happy to be available for other shows. Um, I have not heard heard anything back yet, but we'll see. You never know. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Howie is in Maryland. Hello, Howie. Hi. Um, I'd like to suggest people not buy. They call it a cross country ski machine. Now, a cross country skier, a Nordic skier, is. It kind of rivals your marathon runner as your best athlete. So people buy these things thinking they're going to be the next Frank Shorter or something like that. And all it is is a swing motion. I've actually been on one of them things for an hour and never worked up a sweat. I wasn't breathing heavy or anything. It's just a you know, just a con to call that a cross-country ski machine. I hope you can so, envision g- g- what I'm talking about. I, I, th- I think so. Give me the specific brand again. Oh, I don't know the brand. Uh, they're they're available. Oh, so you're talking about any Walmart. any cross country ski machine? Well, that's what they call them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All it is is a swing. Uh, you just put uh, grab the handlebars and push them back and forth, and your your legs go with it. And again, people think that's a simulation distance runner or Nordic skier, and it's not. It's, it's again, it's just a swing motion. It doesn't do any give you any aerobic advantage whatsoever as far as i can tell okay hey that's uh it sounds like sound advice to me howie thank you 800-848-9222 two open lines if you want to be a radio d influencer Vinny is in massapequa hello Vinny. 
Yeah, I want to talk about the deodorant. Uh, for like 40 years, I've been using just uh, 70% isopropyl alcohol in a spray bottle. And it doesn't sting. It's not like you just shave and you, like, burn your armpits out. But it kills all the bacteria there, and that's what sort of, like, goes to the bathroom on your armpits and makes the smell. So if you just put that in a spray bottle and spray it under your arms in the morning before you put your, uh, like, undershirt on, you got to use a fresh undershirt every day. And then once at night, after a week, all that stuff is dead, and uh, you smell like a charm, and you got no stink, no anything. It is so easy. Isopropyl alcohol, 70%. In a spray bottle. Now, so do you make that mixture yourself, the 70% alcohol and 30% no. something else? No, no, no. At the, at the store, they um, sell bottles of alcohol. One of them says 90% isopropyl ah. alcohol. Another says 70 But there's one that says um, uh, ethyl alcohol. Like if you're going to get a injection, they use alcohol. Don't use ethyl alcohol. It says isopropyl alcohol. Ethyl alcohol tastes like crap. Doesn't <laughs> you like get it on your fingers. Doesn't isopropyl alcohol, if you're spraying it onto your skin, doesn't that dry out your skin? No. Well, my experience is not at all. For like 30, 40 years I've been doing that. Because I read in the um, uh, ingredients on a lot of these uh, deodorant things, except for the scent, the main ingredient is isopropyl alcohol. So I was like, let me just try this. And, it, you know, I wish my wife was over here. She'll swear. One week, you'll be stink-free. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Give right. a shot. One week, morning and night. Well, if you can, um, since your wife's not with you now, whenever you see her, if you can get an affidavit from her attesting <laughs> to your pleasant scent and send it in to us, I would love to uh, have a look at that. I'll see what I could do about that. Thank you, Vinny. Appreciate it. Happy Valentine's Day. Hey, uh, a few people have been holding a while. Uh, so even though they called on a prior topic, let me get to them. Let me be, I'm going to go in order in which they've been holding. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Hi, Frank. I have, I think, what is like the perfect movie for Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. While You Were Sleeping with Sandra Bullock. Yeah, Did you see it? I have, and you know, it's funny. I saw it when it came out, and I just rewatched it recently with my wife because she had never seen it, and I knew that she would like it, and sure enough, she did. And it's funny, as we were as we're sitting here, a couple of minutes ago, I just got an email from Evelyn from Bayonne recommending the same film. So uh, I think that is a good one. You know, I like um, I like that film as a Christmas movie. Because I, I, you know, it takes place at Christmas, and there's a lot of Christmas stuff in there. But it works well either way. You know, Bill Pullman is great in it, and uh, Peter Boyle is great in it. It is a good, it is a good movie. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Charles has been holding a while. Hello, Charles. Good morning. Good morning. Um, okay, the movie I came up with, which I think really has everything, even though it's an oldie, is The Sound of Music. Oh. Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. It has romance, it has great music, great lyrics, uh, suspense at the end with the Nazis running after them, um, emotions, it's, got, it's really got everything. It's a very pleasant movie. And, I mean, it's an oldie, many people, even if you've seen it, it's a movie you could see more than once, which I usually don't. This one I saw three times. 
Real, no, hey, you, uh, that is a classic, an absolute classic. I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, Charles. Christopher Plummer is great in it. And um, William Shatner actually understudied Christopher Plummer for the role of Henry V, believe it or not. And um, the director of that film, Robert Wise, actually directed Star Trek The Motion Picture, interestingly enough. 800-848-9222. Evelyn is in Hudson County. Hello, Evelyn. Frank, good morning. Morning. Um, You won't have to worry about wearing makeup, but there's a very exclusive brand. It's called It. IT, that's the name of it. And they didn't have my color, so I switched to the same brand, but a color correcting full coverage cream. It dried out my skin so badly the first use, it looked like I was in a fire and my face was peeling. So I would stick with the illuminating cream. This stuff was horrendous. Well, give me the name again It. IT, IT. A small I and a T. A lot of my friends use it, and it's quite expensive. All their products are expensive, but it was horrendous for me. Maybe I was just allergic to no, it. No, no. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Let people make their own judgment. That's a good one. So I also mentioned Frank. I went to one of the first Star Trek conventions ever at the Sheraton Hotel, way back. Oh, that must back. that must have been really and it something was wonderful. Yeah, I, um, I'm hoping – thank you, Evelyn. I hope they do another Star Trek convention in New York. I was at the last one in um, 20 – I want to say it was 2015 or 2016. It was a lot of fun. I went with uh, JFK. And you know, it's something uh, – we had tickets to the Met game that night, and it was fun. But it was like a two-day Star Trek fan, uh, event, and I would have just rather have – Stayed longer at the Star Trek convention than um, than go to the Met game. It's um, it's uh, so rare that you get a Star Trek convention in New York. Before the one in twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, I think the last one before that was maybe close to maybe twenty years before that. So hopefully they'll do one more frequently. And it was packed. It was packed. So I don't know why they don't do more Star Trek conventions in in uh, in New York. But um, that's neither neither here nor there. Bruce is in Nevada. Hello, Bruce. Yeah, uh, was it supposed to be a product or? Uh, well, well, I'm sorry. I maybe I misunderstood. Um, I would say don't buy a timeshare. Hey, that's that's a good one, Bruce. Uh, that's a good one. And uh, hey, a lot. I know a lot of people that um, you know that live to regret getting a timeshare. So uh so that's that. All right, 800-848-9222. Big shout out to uh City Councilman Bob Holden who is listening and enjoying the program uh today. Uh Bob, I'm always I always tell Bob, Bob's a great guy and a great elected official. Whenever you're uh, up listening, you should call in. If you're if you're still awake, Bob, please call in. All right. Um those of you that are holding Eddie, Howard and John, if you want to continue to hold, we'll try and get to you. What we are going to do is the $1000 minute. In just a moment, what is the $1,000 minute? That is your opportunity to win $1,000. If you are the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222, you'll get an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. And if you could do that, then you'll be $1,000 richer. We're going to do that right now. Be the seventh caller at 800-848-9222, and we'll see how we fare straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. This is Happy uh, by Pharrell. If you want to know what kind of music we play on this program and uh, you want to comment on it, which people have no problem doing, you could join our Facebook group. Uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And we post the songs there each and every morning. And uh, you can see what songs we played where and something strikes your fancy, maybe make the decision to purchase it or listen to it on your own, whatever the case may be. All right. It's our uh, time to try to give away some money. The rules of this contest are quite simple. It's your opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Do it. You're $1,000 richer. Simple as that as part of... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. All right, let's say hello to Frank in Westchester. Hello, Frank. Hello. Frank, have you heard this segment before? Yes. All right, so you know what to do. Okay, let's get started. What sports championship is known as the Super Bowl? NFL. We'll take that football. What president appears on the penny? Lincoln. What color do you get when you mix yellow and red? Blue. Green. Green. What is orange, it? Orange. 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 All right. Name one of the Great Lakes. Erie. Who was Ronald Reagan's vice president? From uh, uh, Quail. No, I'm sorry. All right. Sorry. Well, you know, it was, it was going to be controversial anyway, Frank, because you gave you said it was blue that made uh, that blue and yellow created that uh, yellow and red created. It was uh, George H.W. Bush was Ronald Bush. Reagan's vice president. He then went on to become president in his own right. So I'm sorry, Frank. I appreciate you playing, but you did not win. Thank you. Call again soon, though. We'll we'll talk in the future. All right. Um See, that's the key. I mean, look, he, he and I guess his wife was helping him there. At least the wife knew that uh, yellow and red made orange. That's the key. You can't get flustered. You know, they knew it, right? They knew that it was, they knew that it was orange. You got to take half a beat, half a beat, and just hear the question, think about it for a half a second, and answer. That's the trick. That's it. If you rush... You know, the old saying, uh, it's a cliche, but like most cliches, it happens to be true. Uh, the old saying is, if haste makes waste. Very true. All right. Without further ado, it is time to go through some of you who prefer written correspondence, including... From the world of Twitter, this is from a Twitter user by the name of Mr. C, who sent this as a direct message. 
He writes, um, Frank, was at the show with my son last night. He sent this to me on Sunday. Was at the show with my son last night with you and Shatner. Highlight of the night, my son turns to me and says, thanks for turning me on to Frank's podcast. I love it. Well, isn't that nice? That might be the highlight of my week thus far. Although, in fairness, it is early in the week. Uh, So thank you very much, Mr. C. From the world of uh, email, I think we're overdue for a trip to the snail mail bag. But uh, so far, we have a lot of emails here. Lisa writes, hi, Frank. Here's a few pics from our past Valentine's Day dinners. Inserted is our house and me and John. Today we're having filet mignon, lobster tails, fettuccine alfredo, salad, asparagus, along with delicious Chianti Classico and lots of dessert, including my homemade pink heart cake with raspberries, Italian cookies, coffee, Baileys, or Sambuca. We listen to romantic music all throughout dinner. I hope my wife is not listening now because now she's going to be expecting something much more elaborate. I thought we'd kind of just order in. Hi, honey. Maybe watch a movie. All right. Uh, Gary writes on the subject of best Valentine's film, Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby. Gatsby never gave up on on Daisy. You know, I mean, I don't agree with that because Daisy is such a miserable person. I mean, I felt that way in the book, and I love the book, and I love all – I've seen three or four different versions of The Great Gatsby – the Robert Redford version, the Leonardo DiCaprio version. And Daisy is terrible. She's terrible to everybody. She's terrible to her husband. She's terrible to her boyfriend. And she's terrible to her her cousin. The, I, I mean, I, I, to me, the fact that Gatsby won't give up on her, the, he should. He should give up on her. All right. Bob writes, subject, blabbering mouth. Frank, you got to work on this. If someone tells you something, send common sense tells you. That you shouldn't share it. You got to be more trustworthy. It's not something to be so shallow that you have to share it. That not kind, and quite frankly, it's not something that should be part of your kind nature. Well, Bob, um, using proper punctuation should be part of your kind nature. Uh, Linda writes on the possibility of justices naming their vice justices. Hi, Frank. I believe that in the case of a justice being assassinated, it seems like the idea of having a vice justice would be excellent. It seems that this would undoubtedly lessen the possibility of a justice being assassinated to change the makeup of the court. But I also believe that the usual vetting process should occur at the time that the justice makes his selection. That way, prior to anything happening to the justice, the vice justice would have already been vetted. I agree. That was a suggestion from David in the Bronx, and I think it's right on the money. A bunch of people wrote me the same message that Jeffrey Lyons wrote me. Not to be, because I was talking about uh, the Lincoln assassination yesterday and all the people that were killed as a result of it. Jeffrey Lyons wrote, not to be a nitpicker, but pictures are hung. People are hanged. Just saying. Great stuff on Lincoln. Thank you, Jeffrey. And thank you to everybody else that has been pointing that out to me, that I said hung instead of hanged. I apologize. And if you've been hanged, my apologies, my apologies to you. Um, let's see. Another Jeff writes on the subject of William Shatner. A man with no witness for Jesus Christ, apart from Christ, we are dead. Cast your idols at the foot of the cross of Christ. 
Jeff in North Carolina. Well, I'll tell you this, Jeff. Um, when William Shatner and I were talking about the five people that we'd like to have dinner with at any point in history, both of us said we'd like Jesus Christ at that table. Figure at the very least we can get some carpentry tips, right? How do you like that? Uh, David writes on the, he writes, you got it. The military industrial complex has been taking notes and has learned from big pharma over the last few years on how they can create a crisis to cash in on it. Thank you, David. Uh, Robert in Baltimore writes on the subject, Burt Bacharach for bumper music. Dear Frank, Burt Bacharach passed from us last week as someone who was an immensely great songwriter. He worked with some of the best talent in the industry, and there are those of us who very much appreciate his music. Perhaps you could play his songs with their great sentiment and harmony as the bumper music for your show this week. Thanks so much. Well, Robert, I, I have had Burt Bacharach bumper music on my list since he passed away, but ultimately... Um, I, you know, my suggestions are only advisory. I'm dependent upon Matt Meany to get the rights to these songs and for Matt Blaze to uh, to play them. So I wish we could. I wish we had played more Burt Bacharach music uh, over the course of the last week. Christine writes, "Hi Frank, I was so happy to hear you'd be on stage with William Shatner. It's clear how much he means to you." Even before you had him on, I was thinking that anyone who has you as their interviewer is lucky whether they're a colonel or a priest or a former gangster or Dr. Sky. You ask terrific, intelligent questions, and we learn a lot. So I wasn't surprised when Shatner asked you to be with him on stage. Kudos. I hope it was great fun. Um, well, thank you. I occasionally listen to Mark Simone in the morning, and recently he had Shatner on. Sorry to say he just kept fawning over him, which is okay, but he didn't seem to have any good questions. I feel pretty certain in saying this. The reason he doesn't talk to you anymore is that you, once his intern... Uh, a kind of student, have surpassed him, the former teacher. It's pure envy. His behavior, classic, passive-aggressive, oh, well. Thanks so much for your show, Christine. By the way, I have changed my font since I discovered on your program that I could. Well, glad to hear that, Christine. Thank you. Um, Tony writes, Frank, not sure you remember me. You must correspond with a great number of people. I'm a longtime listener of the Piscopo Show and did some funny graphics for you guys some years ago. One of them was a Photoshop picture of all your faces on the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation on the Enterprise Bridge. Anyway, reason I'm emailing you is to congratulate you. My wife surprised me with tickets to see Star Trek II and Shatner on stage at the Bergen Performing Arts Center last night. What an amazing time and nice surprise to see you as the moderator. When you were on the Piscopo Show, I remember you saying what a fan you are. So it must have been amazing for you to be the moderator for the one and only Shatner. There were some pretty good questions last night. One came very close to one I would have asked. I figured he wasn't a fan of his own show, but I'd be interested in knowing what his favorite genre of movie and TV show is. Love the guy's sense of humor, especially with his response to the boxers or brief question. Just perfect. Anyway, just wanted to congratulate you on such an amazing gig there, moderating. Keep up the great work. Tony in New Jersey. Thank you, Tony. Very kind. Uh, Joel writes, this is former Facebook group expert Joel, who left the Facebook group because we made it so that his posts had to be approved. So, he wrote, uh, and I like this guy very much. And uh, he is a smart guy, but he was just too non-topical too often. Um, Frank, very nice interview with Rita Gigante. Um, you have this uncanny ability 
to make each of your interviews sound like a free-flowing conversation between friends. You are disarmingly charming while still extracting as much information as possible from the interviewee. I look forward to the next installment of The Racket Report. If you're not listening to The Racket Report, you're missing out, especially this Rita Gigante interview. You can go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com or you can search The Racket Report on any podcast app. Um, Philip writes on the subject of balloon policy. Looks like Biden's policy is a remake of Monsters Appear on Maple Street, the Twilight Zone episode. Well, you never know. Uh, Karen writes, hello, Mr. Morano. It's Karen from upstate. I haven't written you in a while with the holidays and all, but I still have been an avid listener to your program. This past week, the interview with Dr. Sky discussing the balloons and the one with the retired Colonel McGregor was amazing and sad at the same time. On a lighter note, they were so good, I shared these two podcasts with other people, it's hard to believe this is all going on. On a lighter note, I, too, am an avid Star Trek fan from the 60s when I was in high school. I had a great earth science teacher who realized with my daily Friday morning questions about the scientific aspects of the Star Trek show the night before that there was no way he was getting around avoiding my interest in the show. So he dedicated each Friday's lesson to the science of Star Trek. The whole class was interested. We even had a classmate who looked like Nimoy, so he was called Spock for four years. Well, that's very nice. Thank you, Karen. Uh, Let's see here. Aldo writes, Hi, Frank. I caught the last 45 minutes of today's broadcast with Marlena Shivo, and that fellow David didn't catch his last name. Although I have liked and found your conversations with Marlena entertaining and engaging, I was chagrined to learn that she produces Andrew Cuomo's podcast. She and you were touting him as some sort of political hero and worthy of respect of his observations. Uh, Let me be very clear, Aldo. I absolutely did not say that. Absolutely 100% did not. You will never hear the words Andrew Cuomo and hero in the same sentence from me. You absolutely misheard. Go back and listen again. Mark writes on the um, subject. uh, Now I'll save that. That's kind of private. Um, On the subject of synchronicity, James writes, Frank, I was very much related to your feeling of synchronicity regarding Mia Farrow. Things like that happen to me all the time. I can't explain it, but I do recognize it. Often when I listen to you or others on the radio, I read the newspaper at the same time. I'm always reading a word in the paper the very same time the radio guy says it. James, that happens to me constantly, constantly. And I'm still trying to figure out if it happens to everybody or if it just happens to uh, certain people. Let's see. Last one. I'll do one last one here. Um, Jefferson writes, life de novo. That's the subject. At the ripe old age of 70, I have had an epiphany. From this day forward, I will be peeling my bananas from the bottom up and using semi in place of buy. How long before someone finds it offensive? <laughs> That's very funny. But Jefferson, it's not the bottom. It's the s- side opposite the stem. Could just as easily be the top. Right? It's not the bottom. All right. Um, that about, uh, I don't, a lot of other good ones here, but I'll save them. Uh, I will save them. And we will give you an opportunity to be heard for 15. Se- oh, let me read one more. This is a good one. 
uh, because Colonel McGregor is such a uh, controversial guest. I just want to read this one. This is from Matthew. Subject, Colonel McGregor for president. Hey, Frank, I just wanted to say that interview with Colonel McGregor was very possibly the most informative and captivating segment of radio I've ever listened to. That includes the man behind the golden mic and Bob Grant. I really have to say I learned a lot from that interview. Most importantly, it is information that I'm glad I have and I truly wish all Americans had. I wish I could ask him a few more questions. For one, why the hell isn't he running for president? It was great, and I left work a little late this morning, and the timing was perfect. Door to door, I honestly have to say if the interview wasn't over, I would have kept driving around or continued listening at home, which is much as always – which, as much as I always enjoy your show, this is the first time that I would have stuck around for the the duration by any means. Props, bro. Yeah, I got a lot of great feedback on that interview with Colonel McGregor. Even uh, John Katsimatidis, our owner, made a point of uh, mentioning how much he enjoyed that interview. Uh, so uh, the podcast is available. If you haven't heard it yet, please go back and listen. Uh, be warned, it is controversial, but uh, go back and listen. You can go to uh, redapplepodcastnetwork.com and look for Frank Morano interviews and more. All right, 15 se- seconds of fame in just a moment. If we didn't get to your letter today, hopefully it will be on the next edition of... The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Fred in Yonkers. Hey, Frank, what's with this product? Crazy glue. I tried it a couple times, and the next thing you know, Nurse Ratchet's trying to give me a lobotomy. <laughs> Roger. Hi, Mr. Frankie. Joe Biden. Thank you, Frankie. Eddie and Nassau. Since the buck stops on the president's desk, the first coins issued by the authority of the United States government were minted in 1787. These pennies were inscribed with the plain-spoken motto, On Your Own Business. Eddie in Babylon. For all the bars and gin joints in the world, she had to walk in the mine. Play it, Sam. If she can hear it, I can hear it. Casablanca, Frank. Howard in Elmhurst. I didn't have anything to say. It's 15 minutes of fame. I just wanted to say real quickly, I went through the whole process of trying to meet a woman. And uh, I uh, I met. I actually met somebody listening to somebody's advice. How- I- Howard, I'm happy to hear that. I'm sure we didn't have more time. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow, but back tomorrow uh, with some good stuff. Frank Morano, good day.